This podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the television and movies being covered here would not exist. We stand with the writers and actors and support their call for equitable and fair treatment for everyone in the industry. You can support those on strike by making a donation at entertainmentcommunityfund.org, which will go to a writer, actor, or other entertainment worker in need. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all the exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. But of course, today we're here to talk about one, and that's Ahsoka, with the first two episodes finally here. Um... We've seen it. We're excited to talk about it. As always, I'm your host, Kyle. I'm joined by my co-host, Tim. How's it going, Tim? The moment has finally arrived, Kyle. Ahsoka is here. The Star Wars event of 2023, if you ask me. So <laughs> so great to finally not only have these episodes, but to be able to talk about it and just break down all everything <laughs> about these first two episodes that, um, quite frankly blew us away so yeah this yeah. would be a fun yeah it'll be a fun discussion for sure um obviously paul couldn't be here tonight uh just due to some scheduling things he'll be back next week i will not be here next week because i'm leaving on vacation uh next wednesday and uh i'll still be around to watch ahsoka when it drops but then um, i'll be out of town when you guys are recording so next week will just be tim and paul talking about the next episode um but for tonight it's just me and tim here uh, kind of fitting as we also, uh, just the two of us got to go to one of the fan screening events for Ahsoka, um, that they had in Hollywood and, uh, got to see the episodes a little bit early. Um, and I'm sure you, I mean, obviously we watched them on Tuesday when they came out. I watched them again last night. Have you rewatched them since then? Not yet. I, I wanted to, but it just didn't work out, but I'll definitely have multiple viewings before uh, during the weekend. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna watch it again over the weekend too. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess before we dive into uh, just talking about the episodes and the story and everything, um, we could talk a little bit about that fan screening, um, just the experience of it all, um, which was just super cool to be a part of. I mean, obviously, uh, we've been invited to a couple of these things now. Um, and super grateful, you know, thank you to the the great folks at Lucasfilm for inviting us to this stuff. Uh, and Tim, you were able to go to uh, the Indiana Jones premiere back in June, and I wasn't able to go to that. And then, you know, we got this invite for Ahsoka, and I was like, 
I gotta make it happen, man. Like, (laughs) you know, if there was any Star Wars thing I could go to a premiere of, this would be real high on my list of ones I'd want to go see. So I'm glad we were able to make that work. We had a great time. Uh, Also, shout out to a good friend of ours and one of our listeners, Caleb Klingen, who also came with us. Um, You know, Caleb and I, well, I guess all three of us, you know, got to know each other through the podcast. And Caleb and I have since become really good friends. And so, um, you know, they had some additional open spots for us to bring more guests with us. And uh, I threw the invite out to him and asked him if he wanted to go and he was able to make it work. So uh, we had a blast just going with all three of us and, uh, you know, got to go to the screening and see Ahsoka on the big screen with a bunch of other, you know, Star Wars super fans. And then we went to uh, the Scum and Villainy Cantina in L.A. afterwards. It was just like a, a quick walk down the street. and We were walking down the street with our lightsabers late at night going to this Star Wars themed bar and everything. Um, and then of course, you know, hanging out at Tim's house the next day, watching star Wars on your giant TV, as we always have to do. So, uh, it was just an awesome couple of days, uh, you know, real quick trip in and out, but, um, you know, really glad we were able to make it work, especially for me, I had some big work stuff going on right around then. And it was kind of iffy as to if I was going to be able to make the timing work out and everything, but I was able to just kind of thread the needle and just barely make everything work out. And, uh, we just had an awesome time with that. Yeah, it was a blast, like you said, and just what a really fun way to be able to see the first two episodes of this series on the big screen and uh, getting to meet uh, Caleb for the first time and watching it with him and you together. It was just such an amazing experience. So and seeing some pretty cool Star Wars cosplay in the theater. Um, yeah, a lot of cool Ahsoka cosplays. You saw some uh, Din Djarin's, Thrawn, Hera's. A, lot, a couple, two a couple really of good really good Hera's. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw another cool one was a Jedi Temple Guard who I walked by as I was uh, making my way to get my popcorn and drink. Oddly enough, it was like he was guarding the like popcorn stand, so I decided to move aside <laughs> to him. But um, it looked really cool. So, yeah, and then getting to go to the Scum and Villainy Bar. Um, it was my first time. It's kind of weird that, I mean, you don't live in California. You've been there more times than I have. <laughs> this was actually <laughs> my first time. Um, but it was really cool. Just a cool atmosphere. I just... Um, great to kind of be in there walk go with amongst other star wars fans who are going there after the screening as well just finding your table at the bar putting your lightsaber down there was also a really great cosplay of, of someone as captain rex from rebels and he's have his helmet down on the table as you're eating and you're just getting to look at all this cool star wars stuff it was just lots and lots of fun so yeah it was just an amazing way to be able to get to experience what's i think is going to be an amazing series just based off these first two episodes so yeah a great time was had by all yeah, absolutely. And then I tell you what, I mean, it was it was almost kind of excruciating because then like we got to, you know, just watch it the one time and then we had to wait to to see it Tuesday night with everybody else. And it was like we were lucky that we got to see it early, but also it was like, man, now I've seen it. I want to watch it again. And you're <laughs> used to watching it for the first time on Disney Plus when it drops and then you can like rewatch it the next day or whatever. Um, and so to have to go that whole weekend being like, man, I, I I've seen Ahsoka already and now I want to watch it again and catch all the details and just, you know, revisit everything. And I got to wait and it sucks. So yeah. Um, poor us. I mean, uh, yeah. we had an accord, <laughs> such an ordeal to go through that the whole weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, man, I tell you what, that was like a long five days to wait though, especially, and we'll talk about this more in the episode, but like the, I mean, Kevin Kiner does such a phenomenal job with the music in this show. And that was oh, one yeah. of the things that really, like, I was like, man, I just want to hear that music again. Um, and even like watch the end credit sequence again. Like I love the credits at the end of the show. So there were like specific things that I was like, oh man, I can't, you know, I hate that. I can't just like immediately rewatch this again. 
<laughs> but uh yeah i mean it was so much fun you know i had a great time out there with you and caleb and um obviously it was great getting to see uh you know new star wars content on the big screen again um I mean, for me, for the first time since Rise of Skywalker and uh, the first time I've ever gotten to see any of this Disney Plus stuff on the big screen. Yeah. So um, that was really cool. And I think Ahsoka was the perfect one to to have that be the first time for because, um, I mean, the show is so cinematic and especially seeing it on a big screen, like it felt like we were all there to watch a Star Wars movie. Um, it really so, did. yeah, it was yeah. it was just really cool. Such a great energy, a lot of excitement you feel as... I'd be about to watch a brand new Star Wars movie in the theater. I had the exact same feeling just sitting in that theater seat waiting for Ahsoka to begin. And yeah, it was just an awesome to have that Star Wars theatrical experience again. And you said it right. I think Ahsoka, for what we've seen so far in these first two episodes, was like the perfect series, at least for us anyway, to get to experience the Star Wars TV show on the big screen like that. Because it really captured that theatrical Star Wars experience really, really well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, you know, you had the energy of the crowd reacting to all the stuff and cheering every time all the, the fan favorite characters showed up and everything. Um, it was also cool, too, because I wonder if like there were I I think there might have been a couple of people from the crew um, that worked at the show that were maybe there at the screening, because during the credits of each of the episodes, of course, you know, people would applaud for like Dave Filoni and Rosario Dawson and some of the big names that came up and, you know, Ray Stevenson's name got a nice ovation. Um, but there were a couple of names, one that sticks out, uh, Shauna Tripsick, I think her name is, who's the costume designer on the show. And um, there was like one other person that was like maybe a producer or one of the visual effects people or something who got like really loud cheers from like a certain section of the audience. Mm. And I was like, I mean, this is, you know, we're in Hollywood, it's LA. I'm like, maybe people just happen to know those people or maybe, I mean, because there were so many cosplayers, maybe they were the ones that were like cheering for the costume designer, but I couldn't help but wonder. I was like, Oh, are they back there somewhere with, you know, some of their friends that they brought with them to the screening and that's who's cheering for them. Um, so I don't cool to think that we might've gotten to see it with some of the people that worked on it. Um, of course, obviously, you know, the strike is still going on. So, uh, you know, unfortunately like Dave Filoni and Rosario Dawson and all them couldn't be there. Um, which is too bad. I mean, you know, obviously we hope that the, the strike gets resolved soon anyways, and people get paid, you know, what they deserve and all that. But, um, I know for those guys, it's gotta be a bummer to not be able to take part in all this with the fans as well. Um, and so, you know, that part of it was missed because, you know, when they've done stuff like this in the past, you know, they, uh, they always like to bring out the cast and the creators and stuff like that. We did get to see Chopper. That was the one, you <laughs> yeah. know, the, the one member of the cast that's not part of the union. They could bring Chopper out on stage to take a picture of all the cosplayers. But, uh, yeah, just a, a really cool event regardless and a great way to, uh, you know, get to watch the first episodes of the show. Yeah, if Lucasfilm or uh, Star Wars, the social media page, put out some like pictures from all the different events. And there is one shot that it was taken from the stage of the crowd uh, from the theater that we're in, which if you really zoom in, you can make out Kyle's face and yep. just barely mine, what, like hiding behind my lightsaber blade <laughs> that I brought. You can see the side of it. So I mean, you can really make me out just because I'm so tall and because I was wearing like an orange Ahsoka cap. Yeah. So like it's so dark in there. Really, you, you just see my my hat a few inches above the heads of everybody else in the row. And then it's like, oh, based on that's where I am, that's, you know, that must be where Tim was next to me and Caleb's over there. So, 
um yeah it was really cool and yeah i, I haven't looked through like all the stuff they released on the social media you know I, I know they did a few different videos and some pictures and stuff from all those different events um but yeah there's like one or two of them where you can see us way in the background um but yeah it was cool i mean they did those in uh like a few different cities across the country and they had them in disney world and disneyland and stuff so cool that they give the fans the opportunity to see that early um and definitely glad that we got to take part in that um but then I was just as excited to get to watch it again Tuesday night with everybody else and see everybody's reaction to it. And, uh, you know, just kind of like I was really, really curious to see what the general reception was going to be. Because, um, you know, it's one thing to watch it in a packed theater with a bunch of fellow diehard Star Wars fans. But it's like, oh, I wonder what the general reaction is going to be on Twitter and what like my family and my friends at work and stuff or more casual fans are going to think of it. Um and I mean, just like everything, you know, you're going to have some negativity from little pockets of the Internet and whatever. But so far, I mean, it seems like the reaction has really, really been positive and it's been really cool to see people, uh, you know, really latching onto the show and loving it. Um, and I know we certainly have. Yeah, it's been great to see. And like you said, even though we got to see it almost a few days earlier, almost a week uh, before the premiere, it did not lessen the excitement to see it again on the actual premiere night. <laughs> for the series my excitement level was really high just to watch him again and another thing too is i love how um the day after uh those fan screenings is where they announced that it's going to be, be premiering on tuesday nights now at 6 yeah. pacific time which is awesome and not just for the premiere episode but just for um series entire run so that's going to make it so much more convenient and uh, just fun for everybody to get to experience it more together and i've seen some people on uh, social media to say, oh, this is like reminding us of the times when Rebels was airing and we'd all, everyone would get on Twitter and share their reactions um, as we're watching it. So it's kind of more like watching live TV than we've had before with any of the other Star Wars Disney Plus shows. So hopefully yeah. this this sets a new trend for um, all future Star Wars shows and the MCU shows on Disney Plus. They start premiering at a normal time now <laughs> so that everyone can kind of enjoy them more together. Yeah, I love it, man. Like, you know, because um, like you said, it's kind of more just like watching live TV and watching something in a, a primetime TV slot. Um, and you don't have to decide like, oh, do I want to stay up till midnight and watch it? Or do I want to get up and watch it first thing in the morning before work? Or do I want to you know, wait till the evening and have to worry about avoiding spoilers all day? And it's like, mm -hmm. no, now just everybody gets to watch it all at the same time. Um, Except I, I still got to wait for it to get dark in my area. At eight well, so. that's true. That's true. But I mean, you only have to wait, you know, a couple of hours now instead right. of, uh, you know, if you were to have to wait till like the whole next day or something like that. Um, and I know it's kind of a bummer for people that live in like Europe or other countries where they were used to getting to watch it during the daytime um, when it was coming out at midnight here. And now, you know, their schedule has been kind of thrown off. But you guys had your turn with the first few shows. <laughs> and now, uh, you know, we here in the States get to experience that. So, yeah, I really like that. I mean, there's other shows that have already been doing that. Um you know, even like uh, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power and like um, House of the Dragon and stuff like that, um, you know, would premiere either at like 6 p.m. or even like 8 or 9 p.m. I don't remember all the times that they came out at. But um, yeah, it's nice with these streaming shows when they drop it at a, a reasonable time in the evening so that everybody can watch it all together. And, you know, you get to kind of have everybody's first reactions and um like I said, don't have to worry about the, the conundrum of, oh, how's this going to affect my sleep schedule or how late am I going to have to stay up to watch it and all that, especially because with Ahsoka being a two episode premiere, 
I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to want to stay up till, you know, till midnight and watch an hour and a half's worth of stuff and stay up till one thirty in the morning. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm really glad to uh, just have these be premiering earlier now. Um, of course, you know, we had already seen the first two episodes, so that wasn't as big of a deal. But just for for the show going forward, I'm really excited to uh, to get to watch all of these episodes with everybody and then jump online and react to it all together afterwards. Um, and we'll see how it does. I mean, I would assume just from the the reaction and the amount of people that I saw talking about it and the way that it was like, I think it was the number one trending thing on Twitter for a while on Tuesday night. Um, it seems like it got a really good reaction and a lot of engagement from people. And so hopefully that translated to a lot of views and they'll take notice and go, okay, let's do that with, uh, you know, with more of these shows going forward. Um, Cause I think that's a, a really good way to go. Same. Yeah, it was great. And even though I was already planning to watch all the episodes at midnight <laughs> for the series, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that anymore. So it's just convenient all the way around for most people anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, so anyway, let's uh, jump into talking about the actual episode itself and uh, all the the story and characters and all the wonderful aspects that make these two first episodes um you know, just some some really great Star Wars, starting with uh, its own sort of modified version of an opening crawl um, set to different music. And the music right off the bat immediately establishes kind of the the samurai tone that we mm -hmm. know um, Dave has talked about kind of trying to emulate with this series. Um, and the music definitely sets that tone right off the bat. But then we get this crawl um, in red text, uh, just kind of scrolling straight up the screen, not going straight back. But um, other than that, like formatted just like a Star Wars opening crawl where it's got like the three paragraphs and the the names of the important characters are like, you know, in all bold and all that kind of stuff. So um, but yeah, it was a really cool way to start it off and, you know, setting the scene, talking about how the Empire has fallen, the New Republic has risen to take its place. But there's already, you know, sinister agents at work trying to undermine the New Republic and talks about Thrawn coming back and Ahsoka hearing whispers of his return um, and then talks about how she captured Morgan Elsbeth back in uh, The Mandalorian and how she was an ally of Thrawn's and Ahsoka learned some information from her about Thrawn. And meanwhile, uh, Morgan is now, you know, being transported by the New Republic uh, back to trial. Um, which, hey, good on us for uh, correctly predicting two aspects of this show right off the bat, because <laughs> I thought the opening scene was going to be Balin and Shin attacking the New Republic transport. And you predicted that the reason they were attacking the transport was to free Morgan Elsbeth. And that's exactly how this show opened up. So um, the rare time a prediction of mine came true. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a really cool way to start with that crawl and then going right into, uh, you know, just this really cool scene with, Balin and Shin immediately making their presence felt and, you know, making a, a very memorable entrance on this uh, New Republic, you know, frigate or whatever it is, um, you know, cutting down all the crew. Like, I like how they they're still in an old Jedi shuttle from the Clone Wars um, and they come onto this ship, you know, trying to use like a Jedi transponder signal to to get them through or whatever. They're sort of like impersonating Jedi and the captain's like, oh, I don't buy it. I don't think they're Jedi. So he goes to meet him with the security detail. And of course, they easily cut through the security detail. And Balin says, "You know, you're right, Captain. We are no Jedi." Um, and just lots of great lightsaber action from the two of them. Um, they take over the ship. They free Morgan Elsbeth, and uh, 
you know, she tells Balin that, um, that she had been captured by a Jedi and that she knows about the map to find Thrawn. Um, and that, that Jedi is Ahsoka Tano and that's how we start off. So, um, man, heck of an opening sequence again, very, uh, sort of reminiscent of star Wars movies, um, starting with the crawl and then, you know, sort of the pan down to the, the shot of the ship coming in. Um, and then where you have, you know, bad guys boarding a ship. It kind of had like Phantom Menace vibes with the mm-hmm. two Jedi going to yep. board a ship, but also kind of had New Hope vibes with, you know, just bad guys taking over a ship and fights in hallways and stuff like that. So kind of a cool throwback to both of those. You took the words right out of my mouth there. Yes, <laughs> about that. Having those nice combination of the opening for the Phantom Menace and A New Hope, um, which was which was cool because it just really felt like a great Star Wars opening that you were watching to kick off the series as you would a movie. And just going back to the crawl for a bit, um, I think it's just awesome that this series has started off like that. I got the same vibe as I did when we saw right before the first episode of the Siege of Mandalore, where you saw the old school Lucasfilm limited logo. Yeah. The red Star Wars, the Clone Wars logo come out and it just got that feeling like, okay, we're in for something special with the Siege of Mandalore arc. And I got that same vibe as far as we're in for something special with the series seeing the crawl um, that we haven't gotten before in any of the live action Star Wars TV shows. So that was just great, a great feeling right off the bat. And like I said, it's a great opening to introduce you to some of our main characters with Balin and Shin and just seeing, you know, kind of what they're going to be about for a little bit as far as them uh, being force users and not Jedi, as Balin says, but um, definitely get into some interesting aspects of their characters later on in these two episodes that um, has me really intrigued, but just a great opening as far as uh, the action and just setting the tone uh, for the series. So yeah, just a great way to kick it off. And again, echoing what you just said, Avar, is it feeling like the Phantom Menace and A New Hope kind of those two openings combined into one <laughs> a really cool, cool one to kick off this series. So yeah, I loved how it started. Yeah, and then of course we also get the introduction of uh, sort of this MacGuffin for the first couple episodes of this map that supposedly leads to Thrawn. Um, and it was, I mean, it was interesting to kind of see them do a similar type of thing to The Force Awakens, where it's like, oh, we got to find the map to Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And I'm sure as we go through the series, we'll maybe find out more information. I mean, obviously we're going to see this map lead to Thrawn, but um, you know, I wonder if he'll really answer sort of like how they knew that this is where Thrawn was. Um, but, you know, regardless, it's it's cool to see. Um, I, I kind of like this version of the story, this, you know, sort of use of the, the map to missing known character MacGuffin. I like the way they do it more in Ahsoka than I did in Force Awakens, because then we go to the next scene with Ahsoka and like she's searching this ancient temple for clues. Um, and then as we go throughout the episode, I mean, we'll talk about it more as we get to these scenes, but like, you know, there's, there's more sort of intrigue around it. You know, you have Sabine investigating this, this map sphere thing. And like, um, you know, they're, they're trying to find like a cipher to decipher how to open it and where it leads to and all this kind of stuff. So there's, there's some more like lore and mystery around it, as opposed to just like, oh, this droid just has a, a map to Luke Skywalker and everybody's after it. Um 
And of course, I love any of that sort of like ancient legend type stuff where you're looking for relics and going through temples and, you know, just sort of like old adventure mystery type movies and stuff. Also, the the first scene that we're introduced to Ahsoka in where she's in this temple definitely had like an Indiana Jones type vibe Mm -hmm. um, where she's in there, you know, just kind of working this puzzle and lining up these dials with these figures on the wall to, um, you know, reveal this map in the first place. but yeah, like I just thought that was sort of an, an interesting choice to have it be like, oh, there's a map to Thrawn. Um, and again, they haven't quite answered that question yet of like, how do we know that that map leads to Thrawn? But I think the more interesting thing is eventually finding out that this map leads to another galaxy. Oh, um, yeah. And that in this search for Thrawn, that they're going to go, um, you know, we'll be going outside the boundaries of the the Star Wars galaxy as we know it. Um, and even in a later scene, Balin says something about uh i forget the name of it but there's like a, a specific name he says like the pathway to mm. peridia or something like that um so it's like maybe this specific hyperspace route or this specific galaxy is like something that was known in legends or something like that he talks about it being told to children at the jedi uh jedi temple as stories as you know like bedtime stories as younglings or fairy tales or whatever so um Maybe there's more to this than just Thrawn. And it, again, I mean, I think the intent here is like, it's not a map to Thrawn. It's a map to somewhere else. And somehow they know that that's where Thrawn went. It could also be the fact that, um, and I know I'm jumping way ahead here, but like in the the second episode, when Morgan activates the map for the first time and you see kind of the different galaxies moving around and the one that they're aligning to to go to find Thrawn has like a symbol of Pergil around it. Um and so I don't know, maybe there's some some old legends or some information or something out there that maybe the Pergil constantly travel between our galaxy and that one. Um, and so maybe they figured, like, if if they were to take Thrawn to a different galaxy, that they know that, you know, that's the one. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Still some unanswered questions there. I don't know how much they're really going to get into it or how much we're going to have to just kind of go along with as an audience. But still so far i really I, I really enjoyed just that kind of um old legends like adventure movie type vibe of just trying to find this map and activate it and, and figure out where we're going and all that kind of stuff and i just can't wait to see sort of the journey that it takes us on um very excited obviously to uh to eventually see thrawn when we get there but um yeah it was just kind of a an interesting uh interesting new plot development that i wasn't necessarily expecting um especially the fact that ahsoka is the one to find it first i mean we knew from the trailers that like morgan had this map that you know supposedly was leading to thrawn or something um but the fact that it's ahsoka that's starting out looking for it in this temple and then of course she eventually loses it to sabine and then to the bad guys and stuff um i feel like i'm jumping all over the place because there's so much cool stuff introduced (laughs) in these two episodes that i want to talk about but uh yeah just this whole this whole uh quest for the map thing was uh i thought was pretty cool yeah i i thought i mean this is like the m- minors of nitpicks that i guess i could have with the series but i just i did get that little same vibe as like you mentioned as far as like the MacGuffin for it being pretty similar to the rise of skywalker with looking for a map uh, to find someone but at the same time it didn't really bother me too much because um we're pretty much done with that MacGuffin for now because they opened it up they saw where or at least um the villains did <laughs> where they know where to look for to try to find thrawn in 
that other galaxy. So it's not something that I was really too hung up on, or just something I couldn't help but think about. I was as I was watching it. It's how oh, this is. This feels a little familiar, but um, I guess since uh, we're on the topic of it, might as well just go into it right now. As far as that revelation, as far as Thrawn and of course Ezra, and just the idea of introducing a brand new galaxy that is totally separate from <laughs> the galaxy far, far away that we're so used to. Um, I just find that so fascinating and just a really cool thing to bring into uh, the Star Wars saga now because, I mean, that's what I expect from a series from Dave Filoni. He did it, obviously, in Clone Wars um, with Lucas, of course, bringing new elements to the Force with Mortis and with the father, son, and daughter, and then with Rebels with the world between worlds, which, as you know, I absolutely love and just what that uh, brings to the saga. Now, with this, I mean, we might even get more stuff, but at least in these first two episodes, finally or not finally but just giving us something new as far as another galaxy to explore new things that could be totally different than what we're used to um in what we've seen so far in all the star wars content that we've gotten over the past 40 years so i just think the possibilities of for some exciting new stories and just elements to reintroduce into the saga is just so cool now that um they're kind of branching out into some unexplored territory um, that we haven't seen before. And of course, there's you can make comparison to some of the legend stories with uh, the Yuzon Vong. And I, as someone who hasn't read most of the New Jedi or Order books, I've always liked the idea and concept of the Yuzon Vong as far as being so, a threat that was totally different um, from the Empire and Sith Lords and just something new and exciting to introduce into the lore of Star Wars. So I'm not saying that we're going to see you on in that other galaxy, but if just the idea of getting something different and new that um, not only we haven't seen before, but just the characters in the star Wars universe haven't experienced or seen before. So that's the stuff that has me excited um, about the potential of what we could possibly see of exploring this new galaxy and just what it can open up because there's probably not going to be time over the course of this eight episode series to really dive into what this new galaxy is all about. But um, it could open the way for other stories, other um, series, books, movies, just to go down that well of new stories to tell and just new ideas to play with, um, with this new galaxy being introduced here. So I just like the fact that it just opens the pathway to so many different possibilities. So seeing it for the first time, that was something that really got me excited about that, what this series is introducing so far, amongst other things. But as far as like new stuff that really get you thinking and to speculate on and just wonder about the possibilities. It was definitely that moment of uh, where they're saying, oh, there is another galaxy other than ours. Um, so yeah, I just love that aspect of it. I just can't wait to uh, explore more of it, uh, not only in this series, but future stories. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, because we knew that Thrawn and Ezra were going to be somewhere far off, probably beyond the borders of the known galaxy. But I figured like, oh, maybe they're just, you know, they're out in wild space or they're going to be on some undiscovered planet or something. But mm -hmm. yeah, the fact that we are traveling to a whole different galaxy and just kind of blowing this thing wide open was, you know, not on my radar at all. And like you said, it just makes you wonder, like, how many possibilities does that open up for you know, future stories that they could tell. I mean, obviously the, the possibilities are endless if they want to just go start hopping around and telling stories in different galaxies. But, um, you know, I, I have to imagine that, like, at least for the foreseeable future, they're still going to mostly focus on sort of the main Star Wars galaxy as we know it. Um, see, now they're going to have to start naming these galaxies so we know like, <laughs> right. what to call them and stuff. Um, 
but uh this yeah, the, I mean, this is a far, far away galaxy. That one's going to be the far, far, far away galaxy. <laughs> yeah, the, the galaxy that's far, far away from a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, just the idea that in this series, you know, we're going to be traveling to, I, I presume, traveling to a different galaxy and just seeing what that might look like, how different it might be. Um, and like you said, they could, you know, maybe just sort of plant some seeds there. It is also interesting. And again, you know, sort of, jumping ahead to stuff in the second episode but when uh they're at that that sort of ancient site or whatever where morgan opens the map and she tells balin and shin um i think balin is the one that asks like you know what is this place or who built this or something and she said it was built by an ancient race from another galaxy um and so that makes you wonder i mean of course as a, a kotor fan uh my mind instantly goes to the ricotta you know could it be them could it be the Yuzon vong could it be somebody completely new um yeah i don't know but uh you know just lots of exciting possibilities of stuff they're opening up even in these these first couple episodes um and that's something i love about it i mean just the the amount of like lore and mythology that's kind of baked into these first two episodes um i just i love it so much the storytelling feels so rich um and as much as i love you know, a lot of the other shows we've gotten so far and I love Mando and I love Andor and, you know, for sort of the, the different stuff that they do. Um, but I feel like this show so far combines sort of some of the best elements of stuff that I love from like the star Wars movies and the animated series and even the video games. Um, I mean, again, visiting, you know, some of these ancient temples and dealing with ancient relics and civilizations from, from, you know, ancient cultures and other galaxies and stuff. Some of that feels very Jedi fallen order and Jedi survivor. And so, um, you know, just, just combining all these different elements from stuff that I love across star Wars and using it to like really expand on the galaxy and kind of show us new areas of stuff that we haven't really seen before is just really cool. And I'm just loving what we're getting so far. Yeah. I guess I'm going back to the very beginning. I know we jumped way, <laughs> way ahead, but um, just the sequence of it of Ahsoka getting the map and just going into that ancient temple, which is revealed later that it was a Night Sister temple, and mm -hmm. they were the ones who built that. And <laughs> jumping ahead to another future reveal, yeah, <laughs> uh, which wasn't really super super surprising, but more more like a nice confirmation, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, it was for some people. I know some people totally didn't see that coming and i definitely remember reading that either as a fan theory or even as sort of like a behind the scenes trivia tidbit that like in the mandalorian that they had sort of that at some point in the production they were maybe considering making morgan elsbeth a night sister and that it just didn't get included in the final episode or something like that um and then, of course, when you think about just the fact that she's got, you know, the black and red robes and the face tattoos and they talk about her people being destroyed during the Clone Wars. That it's was like, oh, that, <laughs> yeah, like it, it, that lines up perfectly and it makes total sense. So ever since then, I've kind of been assuming that that was probably the case. Um, but to then see these ancient sites and stuff that were, you know, built by Night Sisters that had traveled off of Dathomir and stuff was again just cool to like further the lore there. And it, it's one thing to just have somebody be like, Oh, they're a you know surviving night sister of Bathamir and not really address it, but to then kind of get some little hints dropped at um 
you know, further backstory of that culture and stuff. It's just, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Really cool. And just, I liked how to really kind of, Dave took his time in that sequence as far as just Ahsoka sensing on like just how to open and to open those locks on those pillars and to reveal the maps or the orb of the map's location and just like really spending time there, not just kind of making use or just showing us Ahsoka quickly going down there, quickly getting um, the map and getting out. But uh, just that's kind of a theme, I think, especially for the first episode, just really taking its time for some important scenes um, throughout the course of that first episode. But um, when she finally does get it and she gets to that point where <laughs> some assassin droids confront her, and we've seen this, uh, moment in the certain shots in the trailer but um, what's seeing the whole scene play out um, as it was shot and intended to be uh, it was just so cool just seeing Ahsoka in action and just doing some unorthodox fighting stuff that you could just assume she picked up from her training with Anakin just I just loved how you assume she's just gonna go and, and attack those assassin droids with the lightsabers but no she takes a step back and just goes down to that hole she first created and then just starts using her lightsabers to slice up more holes um, <laughs> above her to get those joys to fall down under the ground where she was just at. It was just such a cool visual and just a cool, unique um, sequence to kick uh, or moment to kick off a fight sequence in Star Wars that we really didn't haven't seen before in live action. So it is, I love right off the bat, it's giving us a unique action sequence of right away um, for we know we're going to get probably some amazing lightsaber battles uh, over the course of the series. But for the first one that, uh, or I should say second, because um, <laughs> we did see Balin and Shin use their lightsabers in their attack against uh, the New Republic ship. But um, just at least for Ahsoka anyway, in her first battle of the series, just something really cool and different and uh, seeing her go against those assassin droids. Uh, so yeah, it was just a fun way to be introduced to Ahsoka in the series, seeing her um, exploring this um, ancient temple and getting what she was after, but also then getting to see her in action as well uh, right off the bat. So I just love that, this whole introduction to Ahsoka in this series. Yeah, definitely. I want to pick up on something that you mentioned with the pacing and um, Dave certainly, you know, sort of taking his time with certain scenes. Um, of course, this first episode was di directed by Dave Filoni. Second episode was directed by Steph Green. Um, but we know that, you know, Dave is, you know, the head writer and showrunner for the entire series. And so, you know, his his influence is going to be felt across the entire show. Um, but yeah, particularly in this first episode, I mean, there were some slower moments. But for me, like, it never felt too slow. It felt just sort of like deliberate and intentional and just sort of a, a slower, more methodical type of storytelling that you mm -hmm. can tell is sort of hearkening back to uh, like samurai films and Westerns and just older movies back before, you know, this age of modern blockbusters where everything is sort of, you know, fast paced and intense. And it, it was funny because it, it's the opposite of sort of the infamous George Lucas mantra <laughs> of faster, more intense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and that's like one criticism that I've heard from people, um, you know, from from people who didn't like it and even, you know, some people who did like it, but had, you know, a couple minor nitpicks or whatever. Um, that's kind of been a constant thing from some people is that they didn't like the slower pace or, you know, thought it was kind of too slow or stiff or whatever. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I think 
I, maybe I'm kind of used to it by now because I feel like in some of the episodes that Dave has directed of like Mando and Book of Boba Fett, I feel like he's been trying to do the same thing. And I feel like it's much more refined the way that he does it here in Ahsoka um, as opposed to some of those other shows. Because I think, I mean, looking back now, like I can admit that as much as I love the episodes that he's done in those other shows and, you know, getting to see like Ahsoka and Cad Bane and stuff like that for the first time. Um, there are certain moments in some of those episodes that I think do feel a little clunky. Um, certainly like the, the standoff between Cad Bane and, uh, Cobb Vanth in that episode of Book of Boba Fett where he first shows up. Um, and you know, there's moments during that standoff where Cobb Vanth is like, who are you supposed to be? And then it cuts to Cad Bane and he just stands there for a couple seconds before he says anything. And it's like you gonna say anything like it feels like dave just kind of wanted to show off like how cool cad bane looked or what i mean there there are some moments like that that did feel a little off to me um or maybe even some of the moments between like mando and the gunslinger in the ahsoka episode um you know again moments where i can tell that like he was intentionally going for more deliberate pacing but it did feel kind of like a little bit clunky or awkward um and to me for the most part the stuff in Ahsoka didn't feel that way. Um, it still had that, you know, that deliberate pacing and, and more of that slow tempo to it. Um, but everything that was happening still felt interesting, still felt uh, important to the story. Um, it didn't feel like it was just dragging on or like it was, you know, just poorly edited or whatever. Like it felt like they were just like, let's just slow down and take our time with this particular scene or this particular story beat or whatever. Um and yeah, this scene in the temple with her, you know, aligning the the discs or whatever to, you know, reveal the map. Like that was definitely one of those times mm-hmm. um, where it's like, yeah, sure. Like, could that scene have been shorter? Like, did it need to be that long? Like, no, not necessarily. But I think it for me, like, I, I think it was good that, you know, that it was that long. And again, like it just kind of harkened back to kind of a more old school um, style of, of movie making. Um, and, you know, like I just recently rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time in a while. And like it it gave me those kind of vibes. So, um, yeah, I yeah. really liked it. And I'm I'm interested to see kind of how they continue that through the rest of the series. But, um, yeah, I like that more kind of slowed down pacing of it. Yeah, because in particular, that opening, it just really puts you in the moment. and just makes you really feel like you're with the Silka on this like patient journey that she's on as far as trying to get that orb and lining everything up and just realizing like the patience that she had to do it and just in order to get it right to get what she was after so i just like it just really created that atmosphere and just put you in that moment with her in some of those uh, slower pace uh, moments throughout the course of the series but or i should say series but these first two episodes but as i was watching it i i just made me think this might be something that I might see some criticism for from some people as far as it being more of a slower pace than kind of what we're used to with the Star Wars series. But at the same time, I didn't mind it because we're just getting reacquainted with some great characters and I wanted to spend as much time with these characters as possible. So it just Mm kind of great. It was almost like you're just catching up with some old friends, really, and just when they're just talking and you're just getting this new information for what they've been up to. Um, the last few years since we last saw them in that Rebels finale. So um, I really enjoyed that they took uh, their time as far as these scenes with these characters 
um, Ahsoka, Sabine, and Hera. Just um, once we're getting reacquainted with them and just, uh, like I said, <laughs> catching up with some old friends is what it felt like. So I didn't mind one bit that um, certain scenes maybe lasted a little longer than others, where it, there, but yet there wasn't a lot of action in those moments. So yeah, I, I just really liked it and enjoyed the pacing of it because of what we were getting in those moments. Yeah, same here. And I mean, on that note, I, you know, I kind of want to give two uh, specific shout outs. One to um, just the entire team that's responsible for the visual design of the show, you know, Doug Chang and whoever else is doing the production design and the art direction and all that. And, you know, the visual effects artists at ILM, like the show looks incredible. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> just, you know, the, the, the landscapes of, you know, that temple and Lothal and, you know, all the other areas that we get to see, even like the, uh, the new Republic ships and everything like the, the space scenes, all of it looked phenomenal. Um, and so I think that lends itself to, like we said, that slower pacing kind of working because it's like, if a shot is lingering or uh, a scene is kind of taking its time, it's like, there's always something interesting to look at. Yeah. Um, like I said, like I definitely noticed that the pace was slower, but I was like, I don't mind it because I'm not bored. I'm not frustrated. Like I'm, I'm still enjoying everything that I'm seeing here. Um, and the visuals were a big part of that. The other thing that I think really uh, made that work is the music. Um, and Kevin Kiner and his team did an absolutely phenomenal job with this series. I cannot wait to listen to the soundtrack album for these two episodes. Yeah. But um, I really hope that they go back to what they did with Mando season one and release uh, soundtrack albums for each episode of the show instead of doing like a full season or a half, you know, splitting the season up into just like two half season soundtrack albums like they've been doing for the past couple shows. Um, just because I'm impatient, and I want to listen to the music now because like it's that good. Um, and of course, Kevin Kiner having done Clone Wars and Rebels, like we hear a lot of um you know, familiar themes like Ahsoka's theme and Sabine's theme. And I even like one of my favorite things just about these first couple episodes, obviously we don't see Thrawn show up yet, but like his presence is definitely felt. And in a couple of the scenes where people are talking about Thrawn, you hear just some subtle notes of Thrawn's theme. Um, and, you know, that was just so cool to hear. I can't wait till the first time we see him return in all his glory and just hear that theme blaring on the organ with, you yeah. know, the Chimera Star Destroyer flying <laughs> overhead. Um, but it was really cool just to get some little teases of that. Um, and to hear all of these different themes, you know, played out uh, with a full orchestra and really kind of made more epic and cinematic to fit this live action feel. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, you know, the music was just tremendous. It's maybe my favorite aspect of the show so far. Um, and that was another thing that, you know, again, with some of these scenes that were slower or whatever, and especially with the scene in the temple, like I remember the music really just kind of underscoring it well and keeping you invested. And, in, you know, so even if there's maybe nothing particularly happening during a shot or like Ahsoka is just doing one thing and, and, taking her time with it, the way that the music underscores, it makes you think like, oh, what's going to happen? Or, you know, it sort of keeps you invested in it and keeps the the mood and the tension going. So, um, yeah, I think the, the music and the visuals um, not only are just fantastic in their own right and, you know, it, it just looks and sounds like some good Star Wars, but I think it really sort of complements the, um, the style of storytelling, if you will. 
Yeah, without question. The music was such a standout <laughs> for both of these episodes. Everyone I watched it with on Tuesday night is like, everyone made a comment just how great the music was and just how um, really unique it felt for, I guess, some of the other ones that they're used to in some of the other series. But it just really stood out just being something that was just really, really great and just perfectly uh, mixed in with the visuals, as you said, and just for with the characters and the story that they're telling. So, yeah, so not only are we <laughs> I think going to be in for great stories, getting caught up with some great characters and great visuals, hopefully some great new lore added to the saga, but then also some great music in an already rich history of Star Wars music. I mean, Kevin Kiner, I mean, he's already proven himself with his scores for Clone Wars, Rebels, and Bad Batch, but it's like he's taking his game to another level with this one, and it shows mm -hmm. immediately in these first two episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I already can't wait to get like the Disney gallery for this show right, and see the behind the scenes of like the music being recorded. And I hope they do an art book for this show. Um, oh, they have to. I've got, I've got the art books for the first couple seasons of Mando and those are fantastic, but so far they haven't released one for like the book of Boba Fett or Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but yeah, I'm really going to need an Ahsoka art book. Um, and uh yeah i mean i mean i also like i can't wait till the strike is over and these guys can talk about it again because i really want to you know get to see some interviews with like dave filoni and the cast and stuff and just hear them talk about the process of making the show because you can tell it's just so well made and so um you know like you can tell when a show like this is just made with a lot of passion and heart and care and that uh you know, the people involved all love Star Wars and like wanted to make the best Star Wars show possible. And it really shows. Oh, yeah, without question. <laughs> it's all up there on the screen and for your ears to absorb with the, the score. And even this, the sound mixing and the sound effects too. everything about it is just like firing on all cylinders for this. Series. Yeah, yeah, that stuff was all fantastic. Um, and then, I mean, we could keep going through this slowly, like scene by scene, but it's like it's 45 minutes into this and we still haven't even really talked about Ahsoka herself. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, this this first scene with the assassin droids and everything in the temple was just sort of a great reintroduction to, to Ahsoka's character. Um, but I really think, again, you talk about uh, like Dave Filoni and Kevin Kiner taking their sort of taking their game up a notch with this series um i feel like rosario dawson same thing and I, I i mean i think the cast is fantastic so far all around yeah um but uh you know i mean the the couple episodes that we saw her in in mando and book of boba fett i thought were a great introduction for the character in live action but again like this feels like everybody involved like has some experience under their belt now like i think rosario's performance is even better i think she she just embodies ahsoka so well um and gives a really great performance i think she looks fantastic obviously they've they've done some work on like the makeup and the length of the leku and everything so she looks even better here than she did in mandalorian um you know the the outfit is great the fighting style is great um but also you know the the new characters and the new cast members as well uh natasha lubordizzo also is absolutely fantastic as sabine perfect um, she was perfect <laughs> yeah i mean almost feels like she stepped right out of animation you know and it, i mean obviously she's a human character so it's not like you have to worry about like oh how's the look gonna translate or whatever um but just as far as you know the look the mannerisms the just sort of the character arc and picking up with where we left off with her in rebels like it just 
feels so like she just nailed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, just from the also, first bit of dialogue that we hear from her while she's writing her speeder, this her tonal inflection just sounded exactly how Sabine did in, yeah. in Rebels with uh, Tia Sikar's uh, performance. So it just like picked it off without not skipping a beat as far as feeling you're watching the same character. Yeah, absolutely. And same with uh, Hera, honestly. Like, I think Mary, Liz Mary Elizabeth Winstead also is just killing it as Hera. And I feel like for me, she was the one that I maybe was a little bit unsure about coming into it. Not because, I mean, you know, everything I've seen her in, I think she's been great as well. Um, but just some of the stuff that we had seen of Hera in, like, the trailers and the promotional stills and stuff, like, I wasn't completely sold on the look. Um, I still think, you know, with the, the eyes and the way they do the contact lenses and stuff, um, doesn't work a hundred percent, but it works well enough. Um, but for the rest of it, I mean, you know, just the costume and the, the head tails and everything, um, you know, looks fine. But I think especially performance wise and the way she plays Hera, like, again, just completely nailed it. Um, you know, and, and you know, getting to see her kind of be that leader figure, get to kind of be the mom of the group and giving everybody advice, you know, sort of including Ahsoka, yeah. um, but especially to uh, to Sabine um, and just sort of being that, that, you know, sort of nurturing maternal figure, but then also get to see her, you know, be this great pilot and get her action scene in The Phantom and, uh, you know, her interactions with Chopper, who it was also great to see in live action doing his thing. Chopper was um, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? Uh, like Chopper for me has got a Chopper would probably win my like most improved award um as a Star Wars character, except well, actually, no, if we're talking like improved character development, I probably would give that to Ahsoka. Chopper is just the one that I've like warmed up to the most over time. Cause I feel like when Rebels first came out, I kind of thought Chopper was annoying. And then, like, over the years as Rebels went on and then as I've rewatched the show since it ended, I'm like, you know, I like Chopper. Chopper's all right. And now getting to see him in live action, I'm like, yeah, it's Chopper. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it was Chopper being Chopper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that was a, it was a quintessential Chopper moment with him there, you know, digging yeah. through his stuff on the Phantom for, the, you know, looking for the tracking beacon and, and doing all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, all of these characters... Um, including Ahsoka, you know, just all these animated characters translated into live action so far are working so well. I can't wait to see Ezra. I really can't wait to see Thrawn. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so far the cast is killing it. The new cast as well. I mean, you know, Ray mm -hmm. Stevenson, uh, Ivana Sokno, you know, we've got a, a great cast of villains for the show already right off the bat. Um, and these new guys are, are just fantastic so far. So yeah. Um, yeah kudos all around everybody involved in this show like i have I've no criticism for any of the performances or just you know any of the the creatives involved um yeah you can and tell that these these guys just poured their heart and soul into it and just loved making a, a great star wars show and the one returning character you haven't mentioned yet but was also fantastic was hu yang he was yes amazing in these first two episodes and i liked how i was wondering if we were going to see Ahsoka seek out Hu Yang because of what she discovered um, in with the map and what she needs to maybe get some information from him to try to help in her journey to find Thrawn and Ezra. But the fact that they were already teamed up uh, and working together right at the start, I like that. Just make just giving you the impression that they've been doing this for 
quite a bit as far as them working together. And I would eventually like to see when Ahsoka seeks out Hu Yang again after uh, she somehow, when first we got to get revealed when she got out of the temple of Malachor. But mm. um, if that's when she first maybe sought out Hu Yang, or maybe it was even before that when she was Fulcrum um, during the course of Rebels. But regardless of when they reconnected again, it was just cool that um, to see them working together right off the bat and just Hu Yang just being as funny as he was in this Clone Wars arc, but then also just being the wise droid that he he was too and just being around for thousands of years and sharing his wisdom wisdom for those who needed to hear it especially in that moment um with sabine when he's encouraging her to take up uh her training again that was great and just some great one-liners and just quips that he had throughout these first two episodes the ones that got the biggest cheer i know from us i'm thinking in the theater is when sabine was uh trying to uh, get the information from the assassin droid's head and they're saying it can overload and wondering if it's safe to do it here and Hera goes yeah let's do it now and he just turns to her and he just goes that's because you're a hologram <laughs> yes yeah. little one-liners like that or just really cool to see again and he looked great in live action as well that's another one of those animated characters who did not skip a beat as far as the transition from animation to live action so yeah seeing Hu Yang um back was great and just uh seeing uh him interact with ahsoka again was really cool knowing um where ahsoka's introduction and journey with Hu yang began all the way back in the gathering episodes of the clone wars and just again him dispensing his knowledge of jedi and lightsabers was just really cool to hear again so yeah Hu yang was just another <laughs> standout amongst many pretty much almost everyone in these first two episodes but yeah Hu yang was just really cool to see him again yeah, I loved him so much. I love David, you know, David's had his performance as that character in Clone Wars. And, uh, you know, I was excited to see him come back for this. But did, I honestly didn't quite expect to see him play as big of a role as he did. Um, you know, obviously kind of serves as like Ahsoka's primary droid companion. But, um, you know, in addition to performing just sort of some like protocol droid type duties, I love that we get to see him really lean into like his knowledge of ancient jedi lore and uh you know the way that he's the one to identify balin by mm. you know comparing his lightsaber against hundreds of years of data that he's gathered on jedi and lightsaber hilts and stuff like that and so i love you know seeing him get to continue on in that role and for me like he almost feels like you know, because he's so sassy and, and you know with the the quippy one-liners and stuff he almost feels like a combination between like k2so and like ben kenobi um <laughs> because if you think about it in a way who like who yang gets some moments where he almost gets to serve as kind of like the the, the jedi mentor um yeah during right. the series you know, even you know the ways that he kind of like lectures Ahsoka on things because he's been around for hundreds of years and he's seen a lot um but also like i love his moment with uh or his scene with sabine in the second episode when uh ahsoka's off with Hera on Corellia. And Sabine is recovering in the hospital. Um, and, uh, you know, she has that moment with Hu Yang where she's kind of doubting herself. And, you know, do I even want to go back with Ahsoka? Did she even want to come back to see me? And um, he's kind of, you know, trying to give her the pep talk and get her to believe in herself. Um, but she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't even, I never had the natural talent and ability for it, not like Ezra did. And he's like, you are correct. I've trained hundreds of Padawans and your aptitude for the Force of Rank at the bottom. Um, 
and just being, you know, very blunt and uh, sassy droid-like in that moment, but then also, you know, just kind of giving her the wisdom that he needs to hear, or that she needs to hear, and she says something about, um, you know, I won't waste any more of Ahsoka's time, and he says, you know, the only time you're wasting is your own, and hands her her lightsaber back, and he's the one telling her, like, hey, this was Ezra's lightsaber, he built it, he used it well, and then he passed it on to you, and you've modified it, and now it's yours. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I love just kind of getting to see him fulfill those, those dual roles. Obviously Ahsoka is the one that's sort of, is going to be serving as like a, you know, her and, her and Sabine are the one having the master and apprentice relationship. Um, but it's like who Yang is like the elder Jedi statesman on the ship. Um, and even, you know, the one that's, that sort of has maybe the most ties to the old Jedi order. Like we see, uh, when like that first scene in the, the cockpit of the ship after he rescues Ahsoka at the beginning. Um, and she's like, why were you like, why didn't you stay closer so we could keep in contact? And he was like, I was following standard Jedi mission protocol. And she's like, the order doesn't exist anymore. We don't have to still do that. And he's like, well, it's still my programming. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. He is very much like a relic of the old Jedi order. Um, and it's just kind of cool to still have that perspective around. So, um, yeah, it's it's really fun having him in there. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, Chopper is great as well. And I feel like by the end of this show, Hu Yang and Chopper are gonna be like given some some competition for my favorite Star Wars droids list. Because I've already got my top four. And I, you know, I think of this, you, you know how like on Twitter people will make those posts where it's like, oh, top four favorite Star Wars characters or movies or whatever, because like when you post pictures on Twitter, like you can do four and it's in a, a grid like that. So um I've just, you know, my as of right now, like my top four Star Wars droids, and it's been like this for a while. It's R2D2, BD1, K2SO, and HK47 in no particular order. It's just those are my my top four, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting that to change anytime soon. But it's like, oh, now here comes Hu Yang and Chopper in the Ahsoka series trying to shake things up. So, um, hopefully they'll share yeah, a scene we, together over the course of the series. That, that would be a oh, fun I'm interaction. Sure, <laughs> they will, and that, that would be a very fun interaction. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see that. Hey, maybe especially if you know if we're talking about this eventually leading into like a an heir to the empire type story and maybe bringing back the original trilogy characters, maybe we'll get to see Chopper and R2 together in live action too. Um, that would be somewhere cool down the line. They did have that fight in the second episode of Rebels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know they've already been in Rebels together, but like that would be fun to see in live action. But yeah, Hu Yang and Chopper, I like you can't pass up on an opportunity to make that happen in this show. Yeah, and R five D four, your favorite droid. <laughs> He's nowhere near this. <laughs> He's back on Mandalore getting chased by mouse droids. <laughs> Keep him out of this. Uh, I, I just um, had to throw him in there. <laughs> hopefully Dave Filoni didn't. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, just you know, all the, the cast and the characters and everything I think are just absolutely fantastic so far. Um but yeah, I mean, as far as, so where, where were we in the story talking about, um, you know, that first temple scene. And then of course, uh, Ahsoka gets the map, takes it back to Hera, um, on the, you know, landing on home one with, uh, the ghost there in the hangar, which, you know, is the only brief glimpse we got to see of the ghost in these first two episodes. Um, but again, man, I mean, one of my favorite moments in these two episodes when, uh, Ahsoka gets the call, like, Oh, there's been an incident. We need you back with the the New Republic fleet. 
and they go back to you know check out the destruction from Balin's attack and whatever. Um, but just setting up that scene in space where you've got the derelict ship and then you've got home one and there's like a squadron of X-Wings that fly by and then Ahsoka's ship comes out of hyperspace and flies by the other way and like the music is soaring and then you get like the shot from inside the cockpit as they're flying into the, the hangar on home one that honestly like just that POV shot felt like something out of like the ending of Star Tours when you, you know, land back at your base or whatever. Um, it just... Ah, it it felt so Star Wars, and um, I don't know. I feel like that's just sort of my biggest takeaway from this whole show so far. Um, it just looks and feels and sounds so Star Wars in such a, a good way. And not to try to like be too negative with like comparisons to other shows or movies or whatever, but like it's just. Um, I don't know. Dave Dave Filoni gets it in a way that a lot of other people don't. And not that, you know, again, not that other shows and movies are, are doing it badly or, you know, not that it's a bad thing that they do things differently. I mean, you think about like Mando, which feels very Star Wars, but also feels like it's doing its own thing. You know, it's it's this kind of space Western um, doing some things that we've never seen before in Star Wars, but also like very much feels within that universe in a, a cool kind of way. Um, you got Andor that's very like set within Star Wars, but it's this gritty, you know, political thriller, you know, side of things that we've never really seen before. And it's cool that we can explore different things like that through these series. Um, but like, I don't know, just the way that that Ahsoka, you know, presents the universe and the characters and the visuals and the music and everything like it just feels like. It feels like the Star Wars that we're used to, but also in a new and unique way that it doesn't feel like it's just trying to sort of emulate the original trilogy like the sequel trilogy did. It doesn't feel like it's trying to appeal to the the broadest general audience and make money. It feels like somebody like Dave Filoni, who's really familiar with this universe, wanting to further it and do things that fit within it and feel familiar, but also take it in new and unexpected directions. So, um yeah, I just, I love the whole vibe of the show and everything that they've got going on so far. And it just, um, yeah, I, I know that, you know, that's a, a common sentiment that I've seen going around is that this just feels the most, uh, sort of feels the most like Star Wars of of a lot of the recent shows and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it so far and really can't wait to see where they go with it next. Yeah, I gotta echo everything <laughs> you just said right there. I mean, just because it just you just can't wait to. It's like a thing where you don't want a scene to end because it's so good, but at the same time, you can't wait to see what's gonna happen next. Yeah, <laughs> what character we're gonna follow? Because so far, just everything about it has been so um, fascinating, interesting, and just great to get yourself immersed in with the visuals and as we talked about with the sound already. It just, like I said, everything about it so far is really clicking and. Um, can't remember if you mentioned it yet, but in regards to the visuals, just the way Lothal looked was incredible. <laughs> it looked amazing oh, in live yeah. action. Again, looked like it was worthy of being a Star Wars movie. Exactly. Yeah, just seeing those planes, those grassy planes, and the tower where Ezra's home was at. It was just it was really cool to see even live see it in live action, but have it look as great as it did was just amazing. And the Loth Cat there was just great to see in there. Mm -hmm. The only thing missing was the Loth Wolves, which I'm still yes. kind of holding out hope that we'll get to see them in the series before it's all said and done, because they so, will look amazing in live action. 
one thing that makes me think maybe we will see them is that if you notice in the the credit sequence, yep, there they are. Uh, <laughs> you see, yeah, you see like a. I love the art style where it almost looks like kind of like an old cave painting, but like a constellation at the same time. Like, and it's it's mixed with you know just sort of these um, just moving graphics of like lines going between stars and solar systems and galaxies and stuff it's like this very old looking kind of space map that's um just kind of moving around and transitioning as the credits are going but at the same time like there's some visuals in there of like uh drawings of pergil and then also of loath wolves and so i'm like i don't think they would put that in there if we weren't going to see him in the show <laughs> um i mean we do see them on like sabine's mural that she draws of but course. Um, yeah, I would love to see uh, them incorporated into the show at some point. Although, I mean, these first two episodes are very much kind of like, like as much as I love the story of these episodes, it also is, you know, you can tell that these kind of are the two like setup episodes to get people up to speed, introduce the characters, introduce the story for people that aren't familiar with Rebels and kind of get the whole thing off the ground. Um and by the end of the second episode, it's like, okay, Ahsoka and Sabine are together. They're going off on this adventure to find Thrawn and hopefully find Ezra um, and, you know, leaving Lothal behind. And not that we can't go back there at some point. It's just like, as of right now, there's nothing to suggest that the story is going to necessitate them going back there as part of this journey. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I have to think like if, uh, you know, when they find Ezra, it would be nice to just get to see Ezra have a, a homecoming moment and get yeah. to see him back on Lothal and going back to his tower and everything. So, um, and so maybe we'll just get sort of a, a loaf wolf cameo then, or maybe it'll be something where they're, you know, doing something really important to the story with all of their weird force affinity type stuff that they've got going on. So I wonder if too, like that, um, when we first go back into Lothal and we get to see Ryder in live action, which was really yeah. cool and being played by Clancy Brown, who of course voiced him in Rebels. It was cool to hear his voice. Once you heard the voice, like, oh man, that's Ryder. Cause it wasn't like a close up shot yet. It was kind of zoomed out, but you knew who was talking. Yeah. Is it, I feel like there were only a handful of us that recognized yeah. that in the, in the screening so. or at least reacted to it. But I definitely like, as soon as I heard his first couple lines of dialogue, before you even got a good look at his face, I was doing like the Leo DiCaprio sitting up and pointing at the screen. <laughs> meme. Um, so yeah, that was a really cool surprise. And then also, uh, you know, the Senator of Lothal is Jai Kel, who was, uh, you know, the kid that Ezra was in the Imperial Academy with on Lothal back in the rebels. So, I wonder if we're ever going to find out what happened to, is it uh, Zara Leonis, um, the other cadet that they were with? Yeah. Who stayed behind and never heard about him again after season one. <laughs> I don't so think. somebody told me there was like a series of young reader books that came out tied into Rebels that told his story. Okay. Um, which, yeah, because I remember that at the time being like, oh, this feels like it's going to turn into like an interesting subplot and we never heard about it again. But yeah, I guess it spinned off into like a Young Reader book series. So I don't know how it ended or whatever happened to him. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a cool surprise just to see Jai Kel again. But yeah, for some reason, knowing that we were going to see Lothal in live action, like it never even dawned on me that we might see uh, Ryder and that, you know, Clancy Brown obviously like would be perfect to play that character in live action. But that was a really fun little cameo. Yeah, but uh, just the fact that they were kind of celebrating 
the heroes of both all, obviously being the Star the Ghost Crew from Star Wars Rebels. And that's where we first saw the Sabine's mural painting, which looked great in live action, but yet because it still looked exactly how it did in the animated series, it was just really cool and it's a trip to see. But um I wonder if that was kind of like a little foreshadowing where obviously no one from the crew was there and they were expecting Sabine to be there, but she wasn't. And I wonder if that's kind of at the end of the series or something, if they do bring Ezra back to Lothal, they actually do have that celebration where mm. the surviving heroes are still there to take part in that uh, celebration, just that recognition of what they did for the planet. So I wonder if that was something we'll give this, like, introduce this idea in the beginning of show that um, it didn't go as well because no one was there, but then eventually once they get the crew back, they'll all be there at the end. Yeah, that would be cool to see too. Um but yeah, I mean, that was a great introduction for Sabine, too, where, uh, you know, he's like, all right, introducing Commander Sabine Wren, and she's just not there. And she's off, you know, riding on her motorcycle and like once listening to some speeder, great music, speeder too. bike, <laughs> listening to some great music, you know, wanting no part to do with, you know, this big sort of pomp and circumstance ceremony. Um, but I like that, you know, over the course of the story, you can kind of tell that, like, it's not just her kind of being rebellious, but like she almost feels like she doesn't deserve it because of like Ezra not being there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she says that to, to Ryder when she comes back later and he's like, Oh, you missed the ceremony. Like everybody was there. And she's like, yeah, not everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think like Natasha Lubordizzo has talked about that in interviews and stuff about Sabine sort of feeling this weight on her shoulders and feeling like, um, you know, she, she has this sort of hero status on Lothal that she feels like she doesn't deserve. Um but yeah, yeah I, I thought it was a just a cool sort of direction to go with her character. Not necessarily surprising for me, especially because we'd seen those shots in the trailer of like her riding on the speeder bike and sort of like evading the uh, the E wing and you know skidding under it and everything. Um, it's funny you could tell they had a lot of people fooled because like in the screening when he goes Commander Sabine Wren, like everybody cheered and then like she wasn't there, and I was like, "What are you guys clapping for? Like we know she's not going to be there." <laughs> um, so I kind of saw that coming, but like, I thought it was, you know, still a fun way to sort of introduce slash not introduce her being there. Uh -huh. um, and then, it, you know, you get the, that, that whole chase scene on the highway with the, uh, the Lothal security and the E-wings, which of course is a cool callback to the e, uh, the EU. Um, and I like the fact that, because I think in the, in the EU, like those were supposed to be rebel ships, right? Like just, you know, they had X-wings and Y-wings and then it was like, oh, there's also these E-wings. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I like that they were able to find a way to work it into the show, but also not sort of retcon it in to be like, oh yeah, here's another new ship that like the rebellion had the whole time that you've never seen before. Um, I mean, I think Rogue One kind of did that and got away with it with like the U-Wings and the, the Thai Reapers and stuff like that. And it was cool to see some, like some new designs there, um, I guess you could have done it with it now being the New Republic. It could have been like, oh, you know, we've got these new type of starfighters. But also we know that the New Republic is kind of like decommissioning their fleet. Um, although they do also talk about stuff in these these episodes with them building new ships as well. Um, but I thought it was just cool that they, you know, they just made them part of like Lothal's security force. And so it was a, mm -hmm. a way to introduce them in, you know, sort of a different way. Um, to where you're not trying to be like, oh, why didn't they have these at the Battle of Endor or whatever? So, um, but yeah, it was cool to see those. Cool to see Sabine have her little rebellious streak. And I know everybody's pointed out how much this scene is kind of reminiscent of um, the 
the scene from the beginning of J.J. Abrams' first Star Trek movie where Kirk, oh. you know, <laughs> goes joyriding in the car. Um, so it was fun to have, you know, those kind of vibes to it. And um, I like where, you know, the the one ship parks itself on the highway and she skids under it. And then the other guy is watching her and just kind of gives her like a respecting nod. Like, yeah. all right, fine, you win this one. Like, we'll let you get away. Like, we realize that, you know, we can't control you or, you know, tell you what to do. So um you know just establishing sabine is obviously a very sort of independent headstrong type character but then immediately after we see her back in the tower with the loath cat and see a much more um i don't know the the more heavy emotional side of her um and uh you know she pulls out the hologram and watches her her final message from ezra again and you kind of see why that like that's weighing on her on this day that's supposed to be a celebration of the day that lothal was liberated um, and she's just, you know, she doesn't want to be part of the celebration because she's just missing her friends. So, um, yeah, definitely a nice way to, uh, you know, reintroduce her character, re reestablish kind of that, that relationship with Ezra and like sort of what the, the personal and emotional stakes are for her and all this. Yeah. One thing I'm curious to see if they'll explore at all, um, just to go into kind of the state that Sabine's in during this period, obviously, um, everything going on with Ezra, um, Ahsoka kind of walking away from her as being her master. But then also, too, the fact of what happened with Mandalore on the Night of a Thousand Tears as far as, like, mm. if we're ever going to kind of hear her take on that or just her um, thoughts on it, because as far as maybe feeling probably partially responsible for that when she gave Bo-Katan the Darksaber, just handing it off to her and just um, everything that went wrong after that. Um, because it's funny as I was doing my rewatch of Rebels, where I got to those episodes in season four, and just how it was such a triumphant moment for the Mandalorians, and then how they're going to retake back Mandalore from the Empire, and just what, like I said, feeling really good about themselves, and now that they have their leader in Bo-Katan, but <laughs> since we got the Mandalorian, how it just it went the complete opposite direction, and just ended up in the total destruction of their homeworld. So I wonder if we're going to get to see kind of Sabine's reaction to that and if she does kind of have like guilt weighing on her as as the other stuff that we've seen in the series in regards to Ezra and then um, her training with Ahsoka so she kind of has a lot to deal with as far as stuff that's happened to her post um, Star Wars Rebels so that's one aspect of uh, on the Mandalorian side of things I wonder if they'll explore in this series or maybe later on down the line yeah I mean heck does she even know about it um, I would think she has to. You know? <laughs> I, I would think so. But then also, like you said, I mean, that would kind of be like a big thing for her to, you know, not even address. Um, and I'm sure maybe it will be addressed at some point over the course of the show with her and Ahsoka just kind of talking about their past and whatnot. Because, um, yeah, you would think that even with her being on her own and being on local and stuff, that maybe she still would have kept in touch with her family. Um and I wonder if, you know, maybe we'll even see maybe her mother or her brother at some point, um, or at least hear her mention them and maybe find mm -hmm. out if they survived that or not. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, some more stuff there they could explore. I love how, like, as much as we get sort of set up in these first two episodes and as much as we get sort of reintroduced to these characters and get a lot of backstory fleshed out, um, it also brings up a lot of questions too. And I mean, if you think about it, this is like 10 years after the end of rebels. Yeah. Um, and so there still is, you know, sort of a lot of time unaccounted for, um, 
with, uh, you know, just what Sabine's been up to on local this whole time and her training with Ahsoka and like, how long did that last? And, you know, what, what was that relationship like? And again, we get glimpses of that, but, um, it's like, there could be a whole untold story there, um, that I don't think we need to necessarily go back and fully explore. Like, I think this show is going to tell us, you know, over the course of the season, I think it's going to tell us enough of what we need to know, um, but there's definitely room to maybe go back and do like a novel or a comic series or something, um, filling in some of those gaps and, and exploring remember, some of that stuff. Remember how there was those reports about there being another animated series about Ahsoka and Sabine and their supposed search for Ezra during that time? I wonder if that's something they'll go back to, but except kind of fill in the gaps from the end of Rebels to this series to where we do see Ahsoka's training of Sabine as her Padawan. And maybe that's where we'll see kind of how she dealt with the Night of a Thousand Tears and everything that's happened with Mandalore since then. So I wonder if that's an avenue they'll maybe want to explore maybe further down the line if they really want to tell that story. Because I definitely want to see it. I mean, we got the hints at it in the trailer as far as Ahsoka training Sabine as a Jedi. And now that we got a little more insight and just kind of more context up to their relationship, seeing the actual episodes, that is a story I definitely want to see at some point, just kind of where, like what made Ahsoka want to take Sabine on as a Padawan, and then just how it all went wrong, but what made her decide to leave. And we might get those answers over the course of the series. And even if we do, though, I'd yeah. like to see it kind of fully explored more in, in its own story, because I think that's um, another avenue for some rich storytelling between these characters as well. Yeah, but again, I, I think that might be better suited to like a novel or a comic or something just because, uh, you know, even for an animated series to do like a full like big budget production and get, you know, the voice actors back and everything like um, not that I would complain about getting more animated stories with those characters, but to like bring them from animation to live action and then go back to animation to tell another story about them that's just kind of like. I mean, on the surface, like a story about Ahsoka training Sabine, it's like, well, we're going to see that in this series. So to make another show about that, I think would be kind of redundant, especially well, they, when it's like we already would know how that one would end. And yeah. so I think this is kind of the more important story. Well, maybe they could just do it as like a Tales of the Jedi short. I mean, it could be something that maybe they can't tell. That idea I like very yeah. much. Now, now, now that you could be onto something with. Um, yeah, I think that would be a great idea for uh, a Tales of the Jedi, even like, I mean, a one-off episode or even if the next season is, you know, sort of follows the same mm -hmm. structure as the first season where it's six episodes and they're kind of split three and three as far yeah. as who the stories are about. Um, and to maybe get like, we see one episode where, oh, did you, you just have a you eureka know, moment right now <laughs> i did i did because i'm also thinking you know you maybe you mentioned this earlier maybe i was just thinking about it about like seeing ahsoka get off of malakor mm -hmm. and find out more uh, about you know what she's been doing up to this point and it's like we could get some of that through flashbacks we could get some of it through exposition but again i think they're trying to sort of bring new viewers up to speed and then kind of push the story forward. So I don't think we're going to spend a whole lot of time looking back and filling in every single little detail that's happened over the past 10 years. Um, but I think if you did another, like if, if you did another Tales of the Jedi where, you know, maybe you get three episodes about 
Luke and Ben or Quinlan Voss or insert other Jedi character here that people want to see more of. Um, but then you do three episodes about Ahsoka kind of picking up from where they left off in, in the first Tales of the Jedi, but jumping ahead to the end of Rebels and do an episode showing how she gets off Malachor. Um, and depending on how long the episode is, it could maybe just kind of be a like a montage of like her getting off of Malachor, her kind of reacclimating to the state of the galaxy, um, figuring out, you know, what, what she needs to do. And maybe by the end of it, uh, we come to, you know, the end of rebels. Cause again, she goes back to her own time on Malachor where it's still like in season two. So like, mm. what's she doing between season two and season four? Um, but maybe right. You know, that first episode could end with her, like around the time of season four approaching Sabine and being like, Hey, do you want to, like, I know Kanan's gone. I know he trained you as a Jedi, um, or, you know, trained you to use a lightsaber, um, and now that Ezra's gone and like, seems like it might be just you and me, like, how about I take you on as a Jedi apprentice and kind of see how that whole thing started. Um, and then you could have one episode about them just sort of going on an adventure together and training together and, and get sort of in the thick of it. And then one could be the end of that relationship. Um, and then maybe some more info on where you know what ahsoka was up to between then and mando or whatever so um yeah i would love to see them explore that some more until the jedi and again knowing that dave is involved and i know he said he's not going to direct any more episodes but he's going to still kind of oversee it and help use that to train a new generation of like star wars animation directors um i think that would be a perfect thing for them to follow Yep, that's all sounds great to me, and now I want it to happen. So <laughs> let's hope that that's the case for season two of Tales of the Jedi. Yeah, I would love to see that. Um, but in well, yeah, so to... oh, sorry. oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, if, since we're on the topic of uh, Sabine being trained as a Jedi Padawan, I really liked the direction the series went into it. It's because I know with the stuff from the trailer, there's some speculation as far as well, was she ever force sensitive? <laughs> like, um, in Rebels, she just didn't know it yet, and now it's kind of like awakened in her since the end of the series. But I really like how they did it where that wasn't the case. It's kind of something as Hugh Wang told her, like her ability to use the force was pretty much very low <laughs> compared to all the other pattern ones you've seen. And just the fact that Ahsoka still took it upon herself to train her in the ways of the Jedi and have her become a pattern one, I just think that's like a really cool avenue to explore to see the training of someone who's not particularly. Uh, strong in their connection with the Force, but yet can maybe still be trained in the Jedi arts. I mean, uh, again, what, going through the season or the series of Rebels um, in Trials of the Darksaber where Hera asks Kanan how the training is going, and he just mm -hmm. mentions how the Force resides in all living beings, so like that potential is always there, no matter who you are. But um, I just and like he says you have to be open to it. Exactly, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, I just think it's a cool different way to go about it, as far as seeing someone being trained as a Jedi when you would be someone you wouldn't normally expect to have that training if they're not strong with the force or have a high midi chlorian count I've compared to other Jedi's that uh, the order would take in as as younglings and Padawans. So it's really cool avenue to explore. And again, um, we knew it didn't go well eventually or initially when Ahsoka wanted to train Sabine, but the fact that they're uh, picking that relationship up again, and we're going to see that continue over the course of the series because I mean, the very last words we hear Ahsoka say is, uh, referring to Sabine as a Padawan, which was great. So really some exciting stuff. And I just really like the direction they're going in 
as far as this new element being brought in, which we never would have thought <laughs> up until we got that second trailer for the series as far as Ahsoka actually training Sabine to be a Jedi. I just think it was a really cool way that they're going about it. Yeah, definitely. I'm like, I'm excited to see what sort of Jedi she turns into and sort of how they go about all this. Um, and like you said, I, I like that they kind of acknowledged both. Like, you know, Ahsoka is training her as a Jedi. And I've seen a lot of people sharing that clip around of Kanan talking about how, you know, the force resides in all living things and you just have to be open to it. And, um, you know, so it's like, even if she doesn't have a high midi chlorian count or doesn't have this like natural aptitude for the force or whatever, um, you know, there are ways that she still could become a Jedi. I mean, you even think of like Chirrut in Rogue One, um, who yeah. is not necessarily force sensitive in the sense that, you know, he's not, uh, he's not a Jedi doing flips and force pushes and all that kind of stuff, but like he is very much open to the force and sort of in tune with it. And then in that final scene of him, you know, walking across the beach and chanting, you know, I'm one with the force and the force is with me. And all these elite trained dark troopers just happen to miss him with their blasters. It's like. Death troopers, may... Come on. Death troopers. Oh, yeah. What I say? Dark troopers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, hey, dark troopers are cool, too. Like. They are. Um, not cool. Death you know, it's not like I accidentally <laughs> confused them for like regular stormtroopers or stuff. But um, yeah, no, but like it he he clearly was sort of using the force in some aspect uh in that scene or rather you know you could say the force was working through him or, or working around him and protecting him so um we certainly could see something similar happen with sabine i mean there's even that scene from the trailer where she's fighting shin and shin says you know you have no power and sabine has her hand outstretched like she's maybe trying to mm -hmm. do a force push and so that could maybe be a big theme of her training with Ahsoka is her just trying to be able to use the force for the first time. Um, and so I like that they're leaving that door cracked open and that they're maybe going to do some interesting things with that, that we haven't really seen before while at the same time, acknowledging through who Yang that like, yeah, compared to other Jedi Padawans that I've trained at the temple, like, you know, we've already established that midi-chlorians are a thing and that certain people have more of a natural aptitude for the force than others. And that Sabine is not one of those people that is, you know, naturally gifted in the force. And so if she's going to become a Jedi, like it's going to be a challenge. Um, and I think that's probably why she, you know, may, maybe what led to her and Ahsoka um, sort of having their falling out in the first place. I mean, it, you know, it seems clear that, um, and you know, Hera even sort of, remarks on this as much that like you know they're both very stubborn they're both very independent and sort of uh you know difficult in their own ways and Hera was like yeah I, I figured that that just would make you guys click you know that you'd be good for each other um but you know I could see where maybe Sabine would be frustrated with herself and maybe Ahsoka would be frustrated with Sabine for not believing in herself or you know not trying harder or whatever so um yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, if we get more of that backstory of sort of what happened with their training the first time and why it didn't work out. And then just to see how that training progresses and, uh, like I said, see what kind of Jedi Sabine eventually becomes. Yeah. And I like how that played into that lightsaber duel, the first one she had with Shin at the end of the first episode, where mm -hmm. um, you pretty much got a Padawan and Shin kind of a student. And then Sabine, who's been trained in lightsaber combat. But it's probably been a while, I would imagine, since she used a lightsaber in an actual duel. Um, so you kind of got that inexperience for both. 
and it played off well to where it was still a cool lightsaber duel, but they weren't doing kind of like the flashy moves that we've seen other Jedi and more experienced uh, Jedi do in other stories, but yet it played well to kind of where their experience level was at and you know, yet still keeping it uh, a fun and exciting lightsaber duel um, to kick off the series with. Because we had some lightsaber action in the beginning, but this was our first duel that we got of the series. And even though <laughs> we knew she wasn't going to die, it, uh, it still was pretty surprising to see Sabine get stabbed uh, by Shin with the lightsaber. And that's how we ended the first episode on. I mean, kind of a cliffhanger for those who aren't familiar with uh, Rebels and the characters, but still not not really one of those things as far as like, oh, like what's going to happen? Is Sabine going to be okay? Especially even if you've seen the trailers. <laughs> we know she's going to be quite all right, probably not too far down the line. <laughs> from so, so funny story about that. Um, after watching the episodes again on Tuesday night, I got a phone call from my sister who lives back home with my parents. And she was incredibly frustrated because she's been trying to get my parents to watch rebels for uh. months because i mean my parents are you know star wars fans especially my, you know my dad you know he and i have played a lot of battlefront together and you know we play star wars video games and stuff together growing up um so like my parents are star wars fans but they're not like on our level of star wars fans and like they've seen all the yeah. movies they enjoy you know they've watched mandalorian and I, I think they've watched all of the live action shows and they like those um I think they've seen, I don't know if they've seen all of Clone Wars, but like they've seen some Clone Wars, but they never watched Rebels. They haven't watched Bad Batch. Like they're not as into the animated stuff. And, and my sister's been trying to get them to, she's like, guys, Ahsoka's coming out. I know you're going to watch it because you watch all the live action stuff. Like you got to watch Rebels first. And they haven't been watching it. Um, And then finally, like over the past couple of weeks, they started trying to cram in just watching like the episodes that are listed on Disney Plus as like the Ahsoka essential episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, from Clone Wars and Rebels. And then after we saw the screening early, I told them, I was like, hey, they just give you the like episodes that are focused on Ahsoka, but like here's some other episodes that you need to watch to get background on like Ezra and Sabine and Thrawn. And like, because this is not just Ahsoka's show. Um, anyway, so after after my sister had watched it and then she had talked to my parents about it, she she called me frustrated because apparently on that night, on Tuesday night, they had just watched the first episode. And we're going to save the second one for later. They're going to like watch it the next day or something. But my dad was uh -huh. like, man, I'm bummed. And she's like, why? She's like, because they killed off Sabine. And <laughs> oh. she was just like losing her mind. She's like, if you would watch both episodes and if you would know more about the characters going into it, you'd know that they wouldn't kill Sabine off this quick. Um, you see, but yet that's kind of awesome too, because that moment in that first episode did its job for those who haven't watched it. Just kind of creating that moment of suspense and like, disappointment obviously in that case as far as caring for the character already and being bummed that thinking that she wasn't going to survive so that actually kind of makes me happy that he had that reaction to it yeah i guess you could say but also like you said if you just go in and watch the second episode <laughs> you immediately find out that she's okay so right you know but you're just going to bed thinking oh i just watched the first episode and it ended with sabine dying that sucks um <laughs> that was just funny but um it is also funny that like it's I thought it was it was fine. It was done well. But like continuing this recent Star Wars trend of like characters getting stabbed through the gut and surviving when like <laughs> that's what killed Qui-Gon. Um, now, obviously, when Sabine got stabbed at the end of that fight, like Ahsoka was right there and obviously she was able to get medical treatment right away. Meanwhile, Qui-Gon is just lying there suffering while Obi-Wan keeps fighting Darth Maul. So maybe he <laughs> didn't die right away and, you know, could have been saved if they had rushed him to the hospital right away. 
that um, plus the energy shields didn't go down right away so that ate up some time for quite yeah a yeah but then you also have you know you have uh the grand inquisitor who gets stabbed by reva and lives because the the what did he say like uh the the will desire for revenge does, yeah. or the no um is revenge does wonders for one's will to live or yeah, something like that mm. um but then i mean reva gets stabbed by vader twice and she also survives and it's just you know you, people making all these funny memes of qui-gon's force ghost just like am i a joke to you um <laughs> Although See, I will could... say they at least went out of their way here to show that like her stab wound was off to the side. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, when you, when in the second episode, when she's in the hospital recovering and then, um, you know, she's got like part of her shirt lifted up and you see where the, the stab wound is. And it's definitely like, you know, it missed some vital organs. Um, and then I love how Hu Yang walks in. And it's like, Oh, I heard your, your repairs were complete. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, that was a, a cool duel to end the first episode with. Like you said, uh, definitely still kind of showing the inexperience of the two of them um, as, you know, relative Padawans, if you will. Um, but also showing that, you know, for a force, for a non-force user, Sabine can hold her own pretty well with a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it was a pretty cool way to end that first episode. I also, I really like how... Um, like I, I like Shin's fighting style because a we know that she's force sensitive because we see you know we see her use the force on some of those troopers on the ship at the beginning, um, and she clearly is you know is also well trained and is a, a formidable opponent. Um, but she kept doing this move. She does this like two or three times during the duel with Sabine, where she kind of like twirls her cloak at her, yeah. mm -hmm. almost yeah. as like a like a deception kind of tactic. Which on the one hand I like in a way of sort of just like making use of the wardrobe. Cause if you think about it, like most times when characters are wearing like capes or robes or whatever, they usually take those off before a lightsaber duel. Yeah. Um, and so it was cool to see a character like in a lightsaber duel with a cloak on and using that cloak as sort of part of their arsenal to, you know, try to create some deception or whatever. But it also came off to me almost as a crutch like you know because she also is still an apprentice and she's not like super powerful yet that she has to rely on these like deceptive tricks and stuff as opposed to just relying on her own skill to be able to defeat an opponent um so i'm sure we'll see uh you know maybe even sort of a parallel journey of these two um these two sort of uh you know apprentices um you know over the course of the show i mean the title of the first episode is master and apprentice um and you know that clearly relates to ahsoka and uh sabine but you know certainly can be applied to balin and chin as well so yeah definitely um, but of course when we first saw that title come up like you turned to me and said oh we're getting anakin in this episode <laughs> <laughs> yep yep I, I i remember there being a distinct buzz in the theater when yeah. when that title came up and yeah i was yeah. like oh my god we're getting anakin we're getting anakin i thought um, so too but <laughs> And of course, you know, no Anakin in these first two episodes, no Thrawn in these first two episodes. And see, this is one of the things that I love about this show. And it's the reason that, um, you know, in, in sort of my first like reaction tweet that I posted after coming out of that screening, I said I was kind of impressed with how much it relied on just its own characters and storytelling and not like relying on fan service. Um, because I'll be honest, like going into it, especially just 
knowing that we were going to get to see this in a theater full of Star Wars fans and sort of feeding off that energy. I was really hoping that maybe we were going to get to see like an Anakin flashback or get our first glimpse of Thrawn or something like that. Um, especially because I was also kind of just going off of the fact that like it was a two episode premiere, which they don't do for most of the shows. Like every season of like Mando and Book of Boba Fett, um, you know, they just released like the first episode. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi was a two episode premiere. And I think the reason they did that was because so much of the hype and the marketing going into that show was, you know, sort of the promise of Hayden Christensen returning and getting to see Anakin and Obi-Wan back together. And the end of that second episode is where we get our first glimpse of Vader in the back to tank for the first time. So I thought we were going to maybe get something similar here. I was like, there's a reason why it's two episodes mm. <laughs> and maybe there's something they really want us to see in that second episode. Um, and so I kind of had my hopes up to, you know, to see something really cool. Um, and I, I mean, of course, all of it was really cool. But, you know, again, like no Anakin, no Thrawn, no real like big surprises or big twists or anything yeah. so far. Um, but instead, it's like I wasn't disappointed or let down by that because it was like as I was waiting for the the big twist or the big reveal or the big cameo or whatever i was like okay i'm not getting that but what i am getting is just a whole bunch of really good star wars and again this sort of like slower more deliberately paced story that still is holding my attention and still is you know just really uh you know the the story is intriguing the characters are great the visuals great the music is great i'm just enjoying everything that we're getting here um and it was able to uh you know, just kick the series off with a bang without having to rely too much on, I mean, obviously it's relying on familiar characters just because it's continuing the story of characters that we've seen before, but there was no big, like, you know, big cameo or big uh, surprise reveal of a, a returning character that we weren't expecting to see or anything like that. Um, it was just sort of reintroducing us to these, these established characters and setting up their character arcs and the story and the journey that they're going to be going on and just telling it all really well. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously more than happy to wait for, you know, I'm sure that the best is yet to come um, for the oh, show, yeah. both in terms of the, the surprises and the fan service and the big reveals that we all want to see, but also just for, um, Again, the, you know, the stuff that's going to come just as a progression of this show's own story, you know, seeing more, more climactic lightsaber duels between like Ahsoka and Balin or Sabine and Shin, um, or seeing, you know, maybe seeing a space battle with Thrawn when he comes back. I don't know if we're going to get that in this series or have to wait till the movie, but like, I'm, I'm sure that we're going to see more than just like a quick little glimpse of Thrawn and I can't wait to see more of him. Um, but, you know, it's like there's I'm sure there's a ton of stuff coming later that's going to blow our minds and that we're, you know, going to all be like super excited to talk about and everything. But like just the way that it kind of took its time setting up the story and, and getting things off the ground and getting things moving. It's like, OK, now it makes sense why it was a two episode premiere, because it just kind of needed those two episodes to set everything in motion and and get everything going. Um, yeah. I think if the premiere was only the first episode, there might have been a little bit more complaints about, oh, it's it's taking too long to get going or, uh, you know, the, the we haven't really gotten to the good stuff yet or anything. But I think definitely by the end of the second episode, it's like, OK, we're we're off and on our way on this journey. And now it's just going to be a bunch of fun new stuff from here on out. Yeah, it was a very satisfying 
end to like this two episode premiere where you just felt like the first phase of the story is completed. It was told really great. We got some cool action, like we said before, getting reunited with these characters again. It was all done so beautifully. And and now that's done and we're ready to kind of get into the main crux of the series and uh, explore new territories from with these familiar characters, but in obviously new and different scenarios interacting with new characters. So it was just like a very satisfying uh, ending to these first two episodes that's really setting the journey off. Um, I thought I did that in a great way with these first two episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, you know, like we talked about the, the first episode ending on the cliffhanger, you know, going, but then you go right into season or to, into the second episode and we immediately see Sabine recovering and she's fine. Um, but then, you know, of course the second episode Which, is a little, Oh, sorry. I was going to say real quick. And um, in regards to the title, of the second episode, toil and trouble, I thought we were going to get into a lot more Night Sister stuff <laughs> with it, like their force magic and what that might entail. But uh, we got a little bit when we saw Morgan Elspeth use like the green flame when she revealed the galaxy map. But just by that episode title, I thought we we're going to get some like crazy, some more little crazy Night Sister stuff. Yeah, I think we definitely might get some more of that down the line, but we definitely at least got it established. I mean, she uses the Night Sister magic for the first time when she's activating the map and talk some more about um you know i think they mentioned some more about the the like at least a couple more night sister things in that second episode um but i think the the toil and trouble obviously is referred to her as a witch but also more just sort of like the bad guys scheming in general yeah um yeah and i i like how we get more into sort of the politics of the new republic and finding out that there's yep. still a lot of ex-imperials around and you know obviously we see that some of them are still loyal to the empire still loyal to morgan and you know carrying out her plans there on corellia um so and again that's the the kind of world building type stuff that i love getting to see from these shows so um yeah the second one was a lot of fun as well just sort of furthering the sort of the world and the current state of the galaxy and and giving us more of sort of a perspective on like the new republic versus the empire and the way that people see everything um but also kind of establishing a bit more of a threat that it's not just a, a handful of you know morgan and balin and shin and uh Maroc, the the inquisitor that we still know nothing about um it's not just the four of them off on their own, uh, you know, trying to, to find Thrawn. Um, and it's not just Moff Gideon and the Shadow Council and these Imperial warlords. It's like there are a bunch of people in the galaxy that are ready to, uh, you know, maybe go back to an Imperial way of thinking, like if they're presented with an opportunity to go back to that. So you get the sense of like when Thrawn comes back, um, it really could stir up problems and there are going to be people that people that are going to be ready to rally to his cause. So, um, yeah, I really mm -hmm. like the way they established all that. Yeah. And I like how Ahsoka put it too at the end, once, uh, they're done with their skirmish and how Hera's says like, how could they still be loyal to the empire? And she's all, and Ahsoka says, it's not loyalty, it's greed. And that's kind of all it takes for someone to still, for someone to be with a, a corrupt system that obviously fell and still try to be a part of it because of, of the greed. But I, it was cool to go back to Corellia, too. I wasn't expecting that, even from the trailers that we've gotten. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it was just ignorance on my part, not putting two and two together that that could be Corellia. But um, it looked, obviously, it was a different time period, but it had a different uh, vibe than what we saw it in Solo, 
that kind of being more like the slums area, cloudy skies. This one, like the sun was out there, really into that industrial part of where the shipyards are um, dismantling certain imperial ships that you see in the background. There's some Star Destroyers being dismantled. So really cool to revisit there or revisit Corellia during this time period of the New Republic and yet still trying to weed out those imperial remnants there. It just kind of like the shock that Hera had throughout that sequence. It's like, how can this still be happening? <laughs> and just um, trying to do her best to like kind of weed them out and just like use her authority to get the information um, that she wants and that uh, she clearly um, has the authority to get, but they're trying to do all this stuff to wiggle out of it. It, it just takes an ignorant protocol droid <laughs> to let all the secrets out. So um, <laughs> yeah. I just like that whole sequence of then that conversation Hera and Ahsoka had on their way um, on that transport, um, Hera trying to nudge Ahsoka <laughs> to take on Sabine again. So just a lot of great stuff and that I kind of wasn't expecting to get that side of the state of the galaxy in Ahsoka dealing with the New Republic and uh, the remnants of the Empire, but still cool to see just a little element of it play out um, during this time period. And also too, um, you mentioned seeing the Phantom earlier, but I thought it was cool that that even got a nice cheer in the fan screening. This, everyone mm -hmm. appreciating the Phantom being seen in live action was cool too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like seeing the different perspectives on that. I like even, you know, you kind of see that as a bit of a character flaw with Hera, with her sort of being blindsided by this a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe just because she's been like a rebellion general for so long and has seen the Empire rise and fall, she just kind of figured like, okay, we won, we're in charge now, like that old Imperial way of thinking is gone. Um and and again you know with her being a general she's kind of up at the top and you know she's not really surrounded by these kind of lower level people um going about their daily lives and maybe still seeing some of this this corruption or this imperial influence still going on um because i like how even at the, at the beginning they're talking about well it's you know it's after the whole sequence where they have to uh sabine gets the information from the um the assassin droid head and they have to, you know, she's trying to get the data before it blows up. And yeah, that, that is a great Hu Yang line where um, Hera's like, I say we do it. And he's like, because you're a hologram. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they they find out that uh, Corellia was where the droid came from. Um, and then uh, I think it's in that same scene where, Hera, you know, Hera's like, oh, yeah, back in the war, like Morgan Elsbeth had uh factories on Corellia but like they should have all been shut down after the war and Ahsoka's like okay yeah but like did anybody check on that like you know <laughs> you you just kind of assumed that it happened but um you know maybe, like again I I feel like and we've seen this as a, a theme kind of even in the most recent season of Mando as well um of the new republic kind of being like too idealistic and just like oh we're in this era of peace and everything's great and like yeah, sure. We'll welcome the ex-imperials back in because they're citizens and they deserve jobs and, you know, like everything's going to be fine. And our you know, amnesty program works perfectly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like nobody's out there trying to get us. Um, and you see that even with Hera a little bit being like, oh, yeah, like we won. She lost. Her factories would have been dismantled. And it's like, OK, yeah, you assume that. But like, did you check on it? Did you make sure it happened? Um, are you keeping a close eye on this stuff? And clearly they're not. So um yeah it was it was cool to see that and I, I mean as much as i loved that episode of uh you know i really enjoyed that episode of mando season three um with all the new republic stuff and with uh with Elia kane and um dr pershing and all that 
um it was nice to see it sort of organically woven into the story and not have to like take a whole separate detour episode to, mm -hmm. to showcase that stuff so and that's another thing that i'm really looking forward to from ahsoka as well is just it telling one continuous story over these eight episodes um and as much as i've enjoyed you know I, i've already rewatched the the premiere a couple of times um and you know just these first two episodes are some you know great star wars that i enjoy watching but it's i feel like it's gonna be less like mando especially you know mando seasons one and two where like you had some really sort of isolated episodes um or it's like there always was a, a sort of story long uh or season long story arc um but each episode really stood on its own as its own standalone story um i feel like ahsoka is going to be much more sort of serialized and it's going to be like eight chapters in this one long ongoing story which is something that i think rebels did really well um that's one of the things I really appreciate about that show. Like it's fun to go back and rewatch specific episodes and specific arcs of Clone Wars because you get, you know, some really cool battles and lightsaber duels and stuff. Um, but I think Rebels is almost more fulfilling to do like a full series rewatch because you get the full scale of this, you know, this story of this one group of characters that's continued all the way through. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, how they do that here in Ahsoka as well. And again, getting to see these different aspects of the galaxy and, and stuff sort of interwoven in, but seeing it all from the perspective of like Hera and Sabine and Ahsoka. So, um, yeah, I really like how they're pulling that off so far. Yep. Just another cool element of the series <laughs> that is doing so well. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious um, if we'll get any more of that throughout. I kind of figured this might be it, like our one little... Uh, state of the galaxy, so to speak, of Imperial Remnants and the New Republic. Obviously, Hera is going to reach out to the leaders of the New Republic asking for their help. Um, mm -hmm. and the shots we've seen in the trailer, but as far as like really digging into like Imperial Remnants spread out and kind of being taken by surprise of some still being amongst uh, the New Republic. So um, I, we'll see if any more explored with that, but I'm kind of thinking that this was probably it. Well, so. see, I do think we might get some more of that explored once Thrawn comes back. Um, and I think it's going to depend on how much of the show is spent just focusing on this quest to get to this other galaxy and find Thrawn and Ezra and how much of it is going to be, uh, you know, after Thrawn comes back and seeing the implications that that has on the galaxy and, and then setting up sort of whatever the big conflict is going to be in the movie, um, and just, you know, total speculation here, but looking ahead to the list of episodes and the list of directors, um, the next episode that Dave Filoni is directing is the fifth episode. And so I'm kind of guessing, I mean, you know, again, that's looking back Anakin at me. <laughs> well, right. I'm thinking either that's where Anakin shows up or that's where Thrawn shows up or both. Um but you you feel like there's got to be a reason why Dave wanted to direct that one. And it's got to be a pretty important one. And so I'm thinking like if the first five episodes of the show are about the, the quest to find Thrawn and then the next three episodes are like what happens when Thrawn and Ezra come back into our galaxy, um, then we could see a lot more interesting stuff of seeing, you know, these spread out Imperial remnants and how they all respond to uh, Thrawn's return and all that. So, um, yeah. yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see um but yeah the second episode had you know a lot of great stuff in here a lot of fun action um in addition to you know sort of that imperial intrigue and whatever but sort of once they reveal the plot and all those imperials reveal themselves and 
you know, uh, first Ahsoka and Hera kind of make quick work of them up in that control room. And then, you know, we get that cool shot of Ahsoka slicing through the window with her lightsabers and jumping out. And Hera goes back to the Phantom and we get, you know, that aerial chasing of her and the Phantom chasing down that big transport that's uh, carrying a big hyperdrive core. Um, and so you get that fun sort of aerial sequence going on while you have Ahsoka on the ground with her lightsabers fighting another droid and uh, Maroc. Um, Maroc, Maroc, I forget how Balin pronounces it. I think it's Maroc. That's um, <laughs> all how I remember Balin saying it. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was definitely a cool sequence. Um, I love the way that, you know, she kind of knocks him down uh takes out the droid and then like charges at him using the droid as like a shield like yeah, speared on her cool. lightsaber and then they they do a couple moves where they're like fighting like dancing around the droid almost um so right. yeah like some some really cool choreography there yeah. again i feel like we we definitely still like the best is yet to come as far as lightsaber duels and action scenes go. But at the same time, like for getting some exciting stuff to kick off these first two episodes, I think, you know, the action was great. Um, but like, I, I'm really excited to see like a full on lightsaber duel between Ahsoka and Balin. And I think even in, um, in some of the interviews, um, I think either, uh, Rosario Dawson or Ray Stevenson said that like, they go at each other a couple of times over the course of the season. Mm -hmm. So, um, Obviously, there's the one fight uh, from the trailer where they're on the planet with, uh, you know, the big star map activated um, and they're sort of in the middle of that. And I'm thinking we might even get that within the next episode or two. Um, I think that that is the very next episode, if you were to ask me. Yeah, I just I mean, it depends on sort of how much stuff happens before we get there, because I'm thinking of everything else that we've seen from like TV spots and trailers and stuff. And it's like um well this episode ended with ahsoka and sabine on their way there so i wouldn't imagine there's not going to be an interruption that prevents them to go there especially when you look at well the but time. we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of space action type stuff with uh shin and some other fighters yeah, you know coming true. after them in space so i think i think that might be how we kick off the next episode um with them trying to get to this planet and it being um you know, sort of maybe more difficult than they expected and facing some resistance in the air or in space. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's just kind of a question of like how much other stuff that we don't know about is going to happen in that episode before they get on the ground and have that lightsaber duel. Mm -hmm. But that certainly could um, happen by the end of that episode or maybe in the next one. Um, one other thing that I thought was cool, speaking of, you know, that planet that they're going to, I forget the name of it, but I know they mentioned it because, uh, Balin tells Shin, you know, tell Morgan that we found the the nexus point on whatever the name of the planet is. Um, and then I think Hera says it again at the end. She says, you know, it's in this system on this planet. Um, but anyway, at the beginning of the episode, when uh, Balin and Shin are standing on that cliff and they find like that, that ancient site. Um, and right after he tells Shin, you know, go tell Morgan that we found this place. I noticed... I think I noticed the first time that like, you know, that that scene ends with Balin looking up into the sky and you hear like first it's just sort of like deep music, but then it kind of transitions into like you can hear the sounds of the pergil up there. Um, but it wasn't until I was watching it for like the third time yesterday that I noticed you actually can see some of the silhouettes of them moving yep. up there <laughs> yeah. um, in the clouds. I don't know how I noticed that on my TV, but I didn't catch it on the movie theater <laughs> screen, but um 
yeah, that definitely stood out to me. Like, oh, we've already seen Perkles. I mean, it's just a yeah. tease again, but I uh, can't wait to see him in all their glory. But yeah. that was a cool. So that there. that pretty much confirms that that's where, like, the the scene that we've seen from the trailers where the ships are chasing around like the pergil in the clouds. It's like mm. that's got to be right there. So, um, yeah, man, I can't wait for the next episode already. Right. I know it's going to be kind of a short one, at least according to yeah. some leaks that I've seen online, is that the next one might only be like 35 minutes or thereabouts. Um, but I always go back to like the first episode that Bo-Katan showed up in in Mando season two was like the shortest episode of the season, and it's still one of my favorite ones. So, um, you know, they can make a, a lean, quick episode with no fat on it. Um, and still have it be, you know, a really great one. So, yeah, it's all about pacing, not length. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and just going know, back- I mean, those sometimes those 30, 35 minute episodes, you're afraid it's going to go by quick, but like they still pack a lot of interesting stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about even Clone Wars and Rebels, well, with those episodes only being 22 minutes, it's like we're still getting a decent chunk more than that. So, and heck, even these two episodes, even the first one, which is like, 55 minutes that felt quick <laughs> like it's yeah like, at the theater like i can't believe it's over already yeah exactly it's like every time one of them ended it's like no i wanted to keep going yeah <laughs> uh but just going back to that action sequence in the second episode just how really cool it was just going back and forth between Hera and chopper and the phantom chasing that hyperdrive being taken and then ahsoka dueling with the assassin droid and the inquisitor and Boy, Maroc, his Inquisitor costume looks great. I might have said this before talking about the trailers, but I just love how that Inquisitor helmet and costume looks in live action because uh, we didn't get that with the Obi-Wan Inquisitors, um, with none of them not wearing any of their helmets. So now that we're getting it here in Ahsoka, it looks really cool. It just makes for just another cool Star Wars helmeted character <laughs> in a lightsaber mm-hmm. duel, uh, which was awesome. But the best part of that whole sequence was not the actual duel, but when uh Maroc jumps on the ship and he already threw his lightsaber and then as he's pulling it back with the force just the casual short turn that ahsoka does to dodge it like it was nothing <laughs> it just like child's played her it was just so cool <laughs> and just again going back to that to the training she got from anakin just invoking the stuff that anakin does and i saw this posted on uh, twitter today where they did the comparison of Ad- Anakin casually dodging that blaster fire in the Siege of Mandalore in the beginning. Mm-hmm. There, just how reminiscent of that was. It is just so cool. So <laughs> that was just something that, because we did see kind of a lot of shots and clips of this duel in trailers and TV spots, but glad they didn't show that one because that one was really cool to see um, yeah. watching the episode for the first time. Yeah, definitely. And even like I love the backflip that she does over the saber, yeah. as, you know, when he throws it at her for the first time um yeah so like as far as just the the choreography the acrobatics like the jedi action scenes are definitely on point um yeah and also you know of course with Maroc, uh with him being a, a masked helmeted character there's obviously going to be plenty of speculation as to like oh who is he is it going to be somebody that we've seen before um there obviously was some speculation that maybe he was Ezra who had like turned to the dark side being with Thrawn for so long or something like that. Now knowing that Thrawn is off in another galaxy, I'm pretty sure we could, it's safe to say that that's not Ezra. Um, as far as who he is, like, is it just going to be, you know, turn out that he is just a, a surviving inquisitor um, or is it going to be some sort of familiar character? Like, I don't know. 
Um, I would be fine with him just being a new character um, as long as like, I hope that he gets, you know, some, some interesting backstory and maybe we find out like what happened to the inquisitors and and what happened to him and why is he still out here as a mercenary and how is he yeah. sort of like the last surviving one? Um, I hope that he's not sort of just like there and we never really find out anything about him, but I don't need it to be like a shocking reveal that he's actually like Cal Kestis or something. <laughs> um, but like, um, yeah, I like I love all the sort of the whole lineup of villains that they've got so, going so far. Like the fact that uh, you've got Morgan, who's a Night Sister, and I love that reveal and sort of like I said, digging more into like the Night Sister lore and stuff like that. Um, and also, like I thought that in the Ahsoka episode of Mando season two, like I thought she was kind of just fine as like a villain of the week. I didn't find her like super compelling or anything. Um, and I'm already finding her a lot more interesting in this show. Um, so I love kind of the expansion that they're doing with her character. I love Balin and Shin so far and their whole, you know, just sort of master and Padawan dynamic. And I really can't wait to find out more, especially about Balin's sort of ideology and his perspective yeah. on the Jedi and stuff. Um, cause of course you have the moment at the end where he tells, uh, he, he tells Morgan that like he can sense Ahsoka coming for them. And he's like, man, it would be a shame to kill her. Cause there's so few Jedi left. Um, and you get the sense that like, he's, I definitely don't think that he's like conflicted or like an anti-hero or anything. Like he clearly is like working for the bad guys, but he's still got this sense of like nobility and sort of honor about him. Yeah. Um, that I think is really interesting, but also just the fact that like, he's a bad guy but he's got an orange lightsaber and not a red lightsaber and like shin still wears a jedi padawan braid so it's like what is his view on sort of the the jedi traditions and why is he still trying to keep certain things alive and you know does he even well no because he says we are no jedi i was gonna say does he still cons like consider himself to be a jedi in some respect um so he, you know, he clearly does not claim to be a Jedi, but he's also out here keeping certain Jedi traditions alive and still clearly has some sort of like reverence and respect for them. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to find out more about those characters as well. Um, and then, of course, you've got Maroc kind of rounding out the group so far as just kind of like some added muscle. Um, but I think there's definitely room to uh, explore him as an interesting character as well. So, um yeah, it's just fun to right off the bat have this whole new group of villain characters and have them all immediately like stand out as like cool Star Wars villains yep. that immediately like make a you know make an impression and just kind of have that that sort of presence about them. Um, you know, I remember like or you remember like the the early press for like Mando season one and one of the things they talked about with the character design is that like iconic Star Wars characters have like a recognizable silhouette um mm -hmm. and like and I don't know that especially Balin and Shin because they're like cloaked like you wouldn't necessarily recognize their silhouette right away because there's so many other like cloaked and robed characters but just their presence and the way that they stand and especially their visuals I mean their costumes look so dang good um that they just immediately feel like, yeah, this fits. Like I buy that as a, a star Wars villain and like, I'm totally into it. I mean, there's even some shots, like um, some of the shots, especially of Shin on Lothal, like at the end of that first episode where she, like when the probe droid comes back to her and then she's standing by the ship with the two droids flanking her and stuff. And I'm like, man, that's just such a good star Wars villain shot. 
um again just going back to what i said about this like this show is just so star wars like dave <laughs> just gets it and we know this but like he's still like it, it just is it's you know just so much confirmation that like it's you it's know. still just so beautiful to see. Yes, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's not a surprise, but it's still just so good to see at the same time. I will I will never get tired of Dave Filoni Star Wars. Exactly. Um, but it's also so cool to see him like maturing as a live action director as well. Um, because some of the stuff that he's done so far with Mando and Book of Boba Fett and stuff, and it's like, oh, okay, it's cool to see him get to bring Ahsoka into live action, or cool to see him get his feet wet with live action Star Wars or whatever. It's like, oh, good for Dave. I'm happy for him. But like, then seeing this, it's like, oh, like they're not just letting Dave Filoni try it out. Like Dave is out here killing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like it's oh man, I I I I'll say this. I would not say yet that Ahsoka is my favorite uh disney plus series or my favorite disney star wars or anything like that um it's already high up there for sure like i i hold these first two episodes in very high regard but if the rest of the season is this level of quality and like i said i feel like the best is definitely yet to come with thrawn potentially with anakin with you know all this other cool stuff that we could see that like it's off to a good start so far and if it keeps trending in the right direction and the rest of the series is as good as we hope it's going to be i think it's going to blow all the other disney star wars shows out of the water um and you definitely can tell just from these first two episodes why they already went ahead and greenlit dave doing a movie um because like this feels like a movie already just with how cinematic it is and everything although i also love the way that it combines I feel like it is very movie-like in its sort of scale and scope and feeling grand and epic and cinematic and everything, but it combines that with the pacing of a TV series um, and just taking its time telling the story and exploring the little details of the world. One of the things that kind of stands out to me too, like the whole scene where they're in the hospital and Sabine is like decoding the droid head and they got to get the information off it before it explodes. I feel like that's the kind of thing that you would only see in a TV show. And feels like something very much out of like Clone Wars or Rebels. Because I feel like in a movie where you've got a lot more sort of important stuff to get to and you've only got two hours to tell the story, like Ahsoka would have just taken out the droid um, and maybe either examined it herself or like brought it to Sabine to examine. And just from like checking the serial number on the droid or something, they would have been like, oh, this came from Corellia. (laughs) And it would have been a much more truncated like, we find the droid, we kill the droid, we look at the droid and figure out it came from Corellia, and then we go to Corellia and not have to do this whole sequence of like the, you know, the deprogramming and the hacking and all that. Um, so it's cool to see it just kind of take its time with those little details and we get those fun little sequences that are like not necessarily like essential, but at the same time, don't like slow it down or feel like filler. It just kind of feels like a fun little addition that we get to, again, just explore more like nooks and crannies of the universe. Um, and, that you can just get do more great t- character moments. <laughs> yeah, that you can do in a TV show, but not in a movie. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I, I love the way that they're executing this so far. I feel like it's really... Uh, you know, kind of firing on all cylinders. So, and I mean, that's not to say that it's perfect, but like, I really can't think of any like major gripes I have with the show so far either. I mean, again, I get that like the slower pacing may not be everybody's cup of tea. Um, And, you know, with like some of the performances and things like, 
are they all going to win Emmys for their performances? Like, probably not. But, you know, I feel like all of their performances range from, like, serviceable, at least, to very good. Um, especially if you know the characters and you're you're seeing the job that these actors are doing of translating these animated characters to live action and making it feel like these characters that we know and love. Um now, you know, again, it's not, it might not be Breaking Bad or, you know, insert your favorite, like, prestige TV drama here. Um, but it's just, it's fun and it's really well made and I'm just enjoying the heck out of it so far. Yeah, I mean, if I can just go back to when you're talking about uh, Balin and Shin, um, their characters and just their history, just, that's the other thing that has me really fascinated by after the revelation of a brand new galaxy because of that dialogue that Balin had at the end where he just says, you know, it's a, it would be a shame to kill a Jedi. And Morgan asks him, oh, feeling sentimental. He just goes, truth, because <laughs> that's what it is. But as you said, still having that respect for the Jedi and the order and the way that they went about things as far as he's carrying on their traditions with training its own Padawan with the braid, like you mentioned. But I just can't wait and hopefully we'll just get more of his character and his reason for doing things that that way while still being a bad guy. Hopefully that does get explored, which I think it will, but it's just so fascinating right now because we haven't really seen a villain or dark side user like that before, because I'll be honest, I think I mentioned this before when it kind of got revealed, oh, Balin's a character who survived or was a Jedi who survived Order 66. It's like, okay, we've seen quite a few of those. <laughs> um recently so um what's going to make this one different and but we saw it here in these first two episodes as far as him being you know an antagonist um obviously not carrying on the jedi ways and how he's living his life but still having respect for the order it's just a, a fascinating avenue that we're going to get to explore with this character and we knew um he knew about anakin or at least interacted with him maybe at least once when that line of dialogue we get in the trailer trailer where he says Anakin always spoke highly of Ahsoka. So just getting that connection there is going to be even cool to hopefully get um explore deeper to his character and what he was what he was like as a Jedi. So just really fascinating stuff that another thing I wasn't expecting uh with these character or with the character of Balin, but yet makes him one of the more intriguing ones as we move further along into the series. I kind of have a crazy theory out there too regarding him because uh, where he did seem familiar with the stories of the other galaxy, kind of saying there were fairy tales told to children in the Jedi temple. And there was like this part of me thinking, what if he is a character that is out of space and time as Morgan kind of described uh, uh, the other galaxy and how Thrawn was calling to her through space and time. Like, what if he is a character who's like that? Uh, Hugh Yang made the comment that his lightsaber is a design that has seen only once in 500 years. Um, what if he was some someone who came out of that galaxy like long ago, but was ended up being in the time period? Obviously, he was in the Clone Wars and with that Jedi Order, just decided to stay amongst us or stay, stay among those in this galaxy. And now he kind of has an opportunity maybe to go back there and knows what's in that other galaxy because he does have that line as far as when Shin asks him when Thrawn returns, what do we get? And he says, power, absolute power. And for me, anyway, I take it as like him knowing where Thrawn's at and what's in that galaxy could be his for the taking. So uh, I don't know, maybe he's not from there, but just like some connection or that he, 
he knows more than he's leading on. He might just be saying to Morgan that, oh, it's just fairy tales when he knows it's like what's really there and what it's really like. And he's only helping her because maybe this is his way to get that power that he's seeking. So I'm just thinking there's maybe he has a connection to that as well. So we'll see. But even if they don't go that down that route with him, it's still just a fascinating, fascinating character to explore just knowing of how he's a bad guy, but yet still holds the Jedi in, uh, or at least respects still the Jedi and some of their ways they, and their teachings that he's still carrying on with his battle one. So just interesting stuff with him that um, I necessarily wasn't expecting to get once we first got that uh, synopsis of his character just being a Jedi who survived Order 66, but now he's a mercenary or a bad guy. So I'm definitely glad there's more layers to him, which um, I can't wait to see explored more. Yeah, I mean, I kind of figured that would be the case because on paper, that sounds kind of boring. Like, oh, he's a, a former Jedi and now he's a mercenary. It's like, okay, whatever. Um, but just from the way that he appeared in the trailers and the ways that they had talked about him in interviews and stuff, I was like, I feel like there's going to be more kind of mystery and intrigue to this guy. Um, I love the way that, you know, Ray Stevenson kind of compared him to like an Arthurian knight who's you know kind of on a quest and has his own goals and whatever and so i'm looking forward to finding more about finding out more about that character and like just sort of what his motivations are um but yeah just like that whole history with the jedi his perspective on things the way that he still has that kind of respect and admiration for them um you know really intrigues me but even down to like the detailing on his costume like just the way that his cloak and his armor looked and everything but i noticed in one shot where you kind of see like a close-up of his hands um you know on his lightsaber like he's got this big ring on his finger and like i just love all these little intricate details that hint at like you know maybe different aspects of his character or whatever so um yeah there definitely seems to be more to him than just oh former jedi who's now a mercenary um but I don't think I'm sold on the whole idea of like him maybe being from a different time period or from a different galaxy or whatever. Like, I think I like, I hope we find out more about his backstory, but I do kind of like the idea, especially like sort of how it was explored in Jedi survivor of different experiences that these Jedi have surviving order 66. And like, what does that do to a person? What are you forced to do to survive? Um, and the totally different paths that people can go down. Like, you know, you can end up being like Cal or Ezra or Kanan, you know, still kind of fighting for good. Or you can end up being like, you know, Bode or or Balin or, you know, there's just all these different paths that people can go down. Um, but like there certainly seems to be a lot more to his character than, you know, just sort of mercenary um, and yet at the same time, he very much is a mercenary. Like, you know, they established that right off the bat when he frees uh, Morgan Elsbeth and she's like, you know, bailing you're true to your word. And he says, yes, and I'm very well paid for it. Um, so like he is, you know, he's got that sense of honor and duty about him, but like is also in it to get paid. Um, and so, you know, yeah, maybe we'll find out more about like, you know, sort of where does his ultimate loyalty lie? Like, is he really just in it for greed and power or is there more to it than that? Um, Cause I also think, you know, when he talks about Thrawn coming back and he says, uh, you know, he, cause Shin asked him what happens when we find Thrawn. And he says, you know, for some war for others, a new beginning. And she's like, what about us? And he says, you know, power. Um, and I think, see, for me, I'm just taking that as like, if Thrawn comes back, 
and galvanizes these imperial remnants and starts another war and you know the the guys that we're working for are back on top or become you know sort of a, a prominent power player in the galaxy again like that's just going to be more power for us like we're going to be on the winning team essentially um and so it's sort of like you know what power is he after or why does he want that or is he really just in it for money or whatever like we don't really know but i think um you know, much like the Imperials, it's sort of like he sees Thrawn and and his return as just sort of a, a herald of better things to come for people that are on that side and, and sort of waiting for a leg up on the New Republic and everything. So um, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm expecting from it. But I'm also expecting them to surprise us because, um, you know, so far, I think, you know, Balin and Shin seem like two characters that are Sort of not to be underestimated and that they could do a lot of cool stuff with their stories that uh, we wouldn't see coming yeah i could totally see not necessarily well maybe kind of call it a redemption arc but i could totally see shin kind of becoming a good guy or a protagonist <laughs> by yeah. the end of the series i definitely could see that as well especially like i don't know if we'll find out exactly how her and balan's relationship started or like why she's with him as an apprentice in the first place but he definitely seems to be the one with the goals and the ideology and um, sort of the the strong reasons for doing why he's doing. And Shin seems to just kind of be going along with it and asking questions like, hey, you know, why? What's the point of all this? Like, what, you know, what happens when we find Thrawn? Like, what are we in this for? Um, and she like so far, there's nothing to suggest that she's disloyal or having doubts or anything like she seems to very much be willing to go along with uh with Balin's plan she just doesn't seem to have that sort of same conviction that he does yeah um she's just still sort of like young and naive and learning and so she very well could maybe learn something along the way that changes her perspective or convinces her to join the other side so um yeah I definitely could see that as a possibility yeah probably like the more interaction or even duels that she has with Sabine will probably I think gotta explore that path or open that pathway uh, to her by the course of the series yeah definitely heck maybe even you know over the course of her fighting Sabine and Sabine training with Ahsoka and growing in maybe her potential as a Jedi maybe she'll sort of uh you know as she keeps having these confrontations with Shin maybe she'll eventually become more powerful than her and uh, she's like, oh, wait, hey, how come I'm stuck over here with this guy that just wants power for himself? And uh, the way you guys are doing it is working out better. Like, how do I get some of that? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there lots, lots of possibilities, lots of possibilities. And it's weird that, like, there's only six more episodes left. Like, it's, you know, kind of a short season. I mean, it's what we're used to from from these uh, live action Disney Plus shows so far. But it feels like there's a lot of story they could still tell with this show. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel like they packed a lot of story into these first two episodes. Um, and so, you know, with six more to go, and especially if we get some longer ones. I know next week is supposed to be a short one, but I also did see something going around today that apparently that fifth episode that Dave Filoni is directing is supposed to be back up to like 50 minutes. Um Oh, I thought you were going to say so. Uh, like, darn. <laughs> I, I, you would not hear me complaining about that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, plenty of time left to to explore these characters and get into all this, and you know, get a lot of revelations and backstory and and stuff to chew on and think about and speculate and all that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they've already 
already given us a lot to consider so far. Yeah, and it's just like we said, each character and each I mean, there's not too many like separate story threads going on. They're all they're already kind of converging with each other, but like you're just mm-hmm. so invested with all the characters in this series so far, from the protagonist to the antagonist. So it's just great that you just for us anyway, just be already so invested, intrigued, and just can't wait to see what comes next for in every aspect. There's not like one uninteresting thing about it or one where you go, I wish we focus more on this group of characters or on this other side of it. But just the fact that uh, you're just, for me, and I feel safe for speaking for you about this too, this is everything they're giving us with the story and the characters that we're seeing so far, where it's just working so well on every level that uh, you just can't wait to see what happens next for everyone involved in the series. Yeah, definitely. No, I'll, I'll agree with that for sure. Like, and like you said, it is kind of all one like cohesive story. It's not like there's a bunch of separate subplots going on, but like there definitely is no, there's no character or sort of subplot or anything going on that I'm like less interested in, or, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like when it, when it cut away from uh, Ahsoka and Hera on Corellia and went back to Sabine and Hu Yang on Lothal that I was like, Oh, get back to Ahsoka and the Jedi action. Like, you know, every everything they were showing us and every character interaction and every story, you know, sort of plot thread was all interesting and all kept my attention. And um, I'm sure that's, you know, going to continue to be the case going forward. But um, yeah, I'm just loving everything that they're giving us so far. Every character is interesting. Every, uh, you know, every location, every battle, every story point um, all had me hooked. So, yeah, I just I can't wait to see more. Yeah, I mean, as, as much as we can't wait for each new episode, I'm already can't wait for next Tuesday for the third one. But at the same time, I want to savor these next six weeks too, because if these two episodes are any indication, these next few episodes, it's going to be a special time to experience uh, this whole series over the course of these next six weeks. So, and yeah, time just seems to go by faster and faster these days. So, <laughs> kind of trying mean, to savor it's... these moments as much as we can. Yeah, like it's hard because part of me wants to savor it and enjoy each week and enjoy the specialness of, you know, getting these new stories every week. And another part of me already can't wait to binge the entire series yeah. after it's over, <laughs> um, especially because, again, it, the it feels more serialized and like it's all just going to kind of be chapters in one long story. And it's like, I can't wait till the story is complete and we get to, you know, rewatch it and kind of experience the whole thing. Like this is definitely one of those shows that, probably the week after it's over, like I'm going to set aside a Saturday and just binge it all the way through um, and see how, you know, the entire, the entire story unfolds and plays out. Um, Yeah. And just thinking ahead to, you know, seeing Thrawn and seeing Ezra and maybe potentially seeing Anakin and stuff like that. um, I just, I already can't wait to get there. And at the same time, it's like, I want to take my time and enjoy the stuff we're getting, you know, as we're getting it. So, um, yeah, I'm just I'm loving it so far. It's fantastic. It was well worth the wait. Oh, and the one other, I mean, before we wrap up, the last one last specific point that I wanted to bring up that we didn't mention yet. And, you know, I'll, I'll let you go if you have anything else that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about, too. But in that very last scene where, uh, you know, Chopper gets the tracking beacon on that hyperdrive core and then it takes off into hyperspace and then we see where it's going and what it's uh, being used for. And it's like this you know, looks like a giant 
uh, like the hyperdrive ring docking rings that they used for the Jedi starfighters back in uh, the prequels. Um, but it's like a massive one of those. Um, and it's funny because they, I think there was like one of the recent TV spots or something that they showed like a brief glimpse of that. And I was like, I didn't pay too much attention to it because I was like, that looks like a giant Jedi starfighter hyperdrive ring. Why would they be building one of those? I don't know. Like, it looks kind of silly, but I'm sure there's a good reason for it in the story and didn't really think much of it aside from that. But then like, once you get the full context of the story and everything, and then you see that at the end of that episode and immediately I'm like, oh shoot, that's, they're building something that A, has enough hyperdrive power to travel to that other galaxy and B, is big enough to dock with a disabled Star Destroyer and bring <laughs> it back. Like that's how they're getting Thrawn back here. Um not to mention the fact that the the sort of command deck or whatever at the top of that structure that we see Morgan on, we see a shot of Thrawn in that same room in the trailer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like that already is getting me excited thinking like, oh, it's all coming together. Like we know how he's getting back. Um, but man, just seeing that, like seeing the Chimera get brought back in that thing is going to be really cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's going to be great to see that ship in live action. Yeah, oh, man, like I said, I already can't wait until just the glory shot of the Chimera flying in overhead with Thrawn's, you know, the full orchestrated version of Thrawn's theme blaring and like seeing him in action for the first time, like wiping out a new Republic patrol fleet or something like that. Like just, oh, it's going to be so cool. Yep, just another thing to put on the list of <laughs> exciting stuff that we can't wait to see in the series. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be a cool moment. Like, as you're describing it, it's like, yeah, I can already picture that in my head. <laughs> How awesome that's going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, that fifth episode that Dave is directing, I'm like, I'm putting a pin in that one. Like, is that the Anakin episode? Is that the Thrawn episode? Is it both? Um, but also, I mean, you know, I, I love the director lineup that they've got lined up for the show as well. Because like I said, Dave Filoni directed the first episode. And then this second episode and the next week's third episode were both directed by Steph Green, who did um, the the like the train heist episode in the book of Boba Fett. Um, where he, you know, becomes one so of the Tuscan tribe and everything, which is which is the best Boba Fett episode of the Book of Boba <laughs> Fett. Um, yeah, yes. I love that one. And then uh, we got Peter Ramsey directing episode four, and he did, uh, you know, he was one of the directors on Into the Spider Verse, and he joined the Star Wars team for season three of Mando, and he directed the pirate episode, um, which is one of my favorite episodes of the season, and he did a great job on that. So I can't wait to see what he does with his Ahsoka episode. And then um, I know Dave's doing episode five. I know Rick Famuyi was directing the finale and we know his track record with Mandalorian. And then um, I should look it up. I can't remember the names of the two directors doing episodes six and seven, but I know they're both new to Star Wars. And I know one of them did Daredevil and one of them did House of the Dragon. So like two other new directors with like good pedigrees yeah. that... Um, <laughs> you know should be able to, to, to deliver some exciting new stuff so um yeah it's just uh, i can't believe we're finally here it's you know these first two episodes have been fantastic and i think we're in for a really special next six weeks um and man what a year for star wars like the stuff that we've had already up to this point with like bad batch and mando and jedi survivor and visions and now 
Ahsoka maybe surpassing them all. I don't know. I mean, for me, Jedi Survivor is also going to be hard to top um, when it comes down to like, what's my favorite Star Wars content of the year? I think I would say Jedi Survivor so far at this point. Um, but these first two episodes of Ahsoka are fantastic. And like I said, when if the next six are as good as the first two or better as we hope they're going to be, um, it's just, you know, it's going to be something really special when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, there's this is probably the last bit of Star Wars, big Star Wars content we'll get for 2023. But in my opinion, they're saving the best for last. And I think these two episodes are an indication already that this is going to be quite the Star Wars experience. And as I said at the beginning, just the Star Wars event of the year. And I think it's already proven that with these first two episodes. So, yeah, and getting the chance to talk about it with you and eventually Paul over these next few weeks is going to be part of the fun as well too and just sharing our excitement and just kind of geeking out of all this stuff that <laughs> we're excited to get over the course of this series is going to be so much fun yeah definitely um I know I feel like we've pretty much left no stone unturned but was there anything about the first two episodes that we didn't talk about yet that you wanted to bring up no I think we got it all covered. I know we kind of went all over the place and didn't follow it scene by scene over the course of these first two episodes, but still, I think we talked about all the stuff that we loved about it and just what makes it such a great series so far and just what, what has us so excited for the potential of the rest of the series. So, yeah, it, it was just great. <laughs> great yeah. all the way around. Yeah, loved it. Um, all right. Well, I know you uh, put out the question on social media, too, or, you know, asking um, the listeners what they thought about it. And I know we got some responses to what they have to say. So, yeah, first up, um, we got a response from Star Wars Wayseeker, who just says, loved it. And then Yoda, who says, amazing, so much Legends goodness and new lore. Chris Park says, good start. It's an interesting story, and I am looking forward to how, see how it develops. Definitely has the Star Wars feels to it. And then Eric says, incredible. Felt like Dave took his largest step up in his direction, and the writing is exciting, mysterious, and fun. Chopper is the MVP of the night. And then Berksbus says, heck of a start. Pieces of the movies, shows, books, and video games all brought together. Amazing fight choreography. Cannot wait to experience this full season. And he goes on to say, also so sad about, so sad about Ray Stevenson. What a phenomenal job. He made the character memorable. May he rest in peace. And I hope everyone honors him and his family. And yeah, it was great that they put that end tag at the end of the first episode saying uh, thanks to our friend Ray there. And mm -hmm. that got a nice hand at the screening too. So that was definitely a nice, nice touch. But still sucks to think that he's given this great performance so far as Balin and he's no longer here. But um, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely missed. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really tragic that he's no longer with us. But um, giving a fantastic performance for sure that I know everybody's been, you know, really high on and he's been a highlight of the show so far. So, um, and also too, just, um, as I rewatched rebels is how great he was as Gar Saxon too. Yeah. Where... Yeah. It was, I, you, you forget sometimes that, you know, he plays these two completely different roles. Um, it's funny, same with Clancy Brown, like, you know, he's already been in the live action Star Wars in the Mandalorian, and he's yeah. also like Savage Press, um, along with being writer of Zadi. So it's cool that these guys get to, you know, do multiple different roles and things. But um, yeah, you know, Ray Stevenson making his presence felt for sure. Um, and, you know, if this I, I don't think he has any other 
unreleased stuff that he worked on before he passed. So, I mean, this is shaping up to be a heck of a final role, um, but he'll be sorely missed for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, thank you to all you guys for chiming in with your thoughts. Glad you're all enjoying the show as much as we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, it's been nice to see, you know, more or less positive reception across the board. Um, yeah. It's, and especially among, you know, sort of the diehard fans and the, the Clone Wars and Rebels fans. I know people have just been so ecstatic to see these characters come to life. Um, and of course, not that that makes the, the animated stuff any less valid. Like obviously animated Star Wars is still great Star Wars and it's not like it has to be live action to like really count. But um, I don't know. It's just cool to get to see Dave, you know, sort of transcend these mediums and like start these characters out in animation and then um, get to now make live action Star Wars that's sort of like emulating the movies that George made that he, you know, fell in love with in the first place and stuff and get to see a live action Ahsoka stand alongside, you know, Anakin and Luke and these great Star Wars heroes and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's just really cool. I'm, I'm super excited for Dave and the cast and everybody involved. Um, and just glad that the show is finally here and can't wait to uh, go on the ride for these next few weeks. Yep. Definitely worth the wait. And <laughs> I know it's absolutely going to get better from here. Yeah. And I will say this too, like, my expectations for this show going in were pretty astronomically high. Like I, and I've talked about this before, you know, I, sometimes I try to keep my expectations in check for things. And then sometimes before the release, you know, with all the hype in the trailers and stuff, like I, I completely fail to keep my expectations in check. And even a lot of times with new Star Wars, especially with the recent movies and stuff, like sometimes because my expectations are so high, that kind of hurts maybe like my first viewing experience where it's like the first time it's like, eh, it didn't quite live up to my expectations or I'm not sure what to think of it. Cause it's not what I thought it would be or whatever. And then, you know, after a couple more times, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I, I enjoy it more maybe on a second rewatch um, where I can just kind of enjoy it for what it is um, and not sort of like comparing it to, to what I expected it to be or what I thought it would be or whatever. Um, and I had very high expectations for Ahsoka coming in. And I would say so far it's meeting all of those high expectations. Um, I don't know if I would quite say that it's like blown them away or anything just because it was already so high, but like the bar was high and it met the bar. Um, and I think it's going to just keep exceeding the bar further in the weeks to come. But I'm just, yeah. I'm so pleased with it so far. It's just some dang good Star Wars. And I can't, you know, can't say that enough. I'm willing to bet over the next few weeks, you'll say it exceeded expectations. <laughs> Just out of <laughs> oh, I, I think it probably will. I, and again, not saying that like, oh, it's just all right. Like, no, it's fantastic. It's just, I expected it to be fantastic. And so far it absolutely is. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I can't wait to see what comes next. Uh, can't wait to keep talking about it with all you guys. Like I said, I'm you know bummed that I'm going to miss the discussion for whatever happens next week. But hopefully, in the weeks that follow, we can get the three of us back on here. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll have another three or four hour episode before the end of this show. I know we're coming in <laughs> at just about two and a half for now, and it's already getting kind of late, and I'm getting tired. But um, you know, when uh, <laughs> whenever Anakin shows up, yeah, <laughs> that's that's going to be a barn burner of an episode, but. It might be um, that fifth episode. <laughs> very well could be. Very well could be. 
Um, but yeah, it's just going to be a blast getting to watch this, getting to talk about it, getting to experience it with all of you guys. Again, thank you for chiming in with your comments. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us online at Star Wars TSC on Twitter and uh, the, you know, the Star Wars The Saga continues on Facebook. Uh, you can send us email at StarWarsTSC at gmail.com. Uh, you can check out our website at StarWarsTSC.com to find all of our past episodes and everything there. Um, be sure to leave us a review or a like or a rating or whatever on uh, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. We always appreciate your support. Um, but that's going to do it for now. We will see you guys next time. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And as always, may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody.